Nice. Rich, I just got to call you out. You said less. You said Lex Luger. Luger. Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> Did I say Lex Luger? I don't know if that's a new character, but... No, he's a wrestler. It's from Earth <laughs> Earth 4. Wait, Lex, Lex Luger. Luger is a wrestler? That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he fights the Justice League, I'm assuming? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to let it slide. I'm, I'm glad Sean didn't. It was driving me a little nuts. <laughs> Listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Grey Ghost 81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on RF Generation and social media platforms like Twitter. Every episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. In episode 54, we will once again don the cape and cowl as we take on Telltale's Batman Season 1. We love narrative adventures around here, and of course, we also love the caped crusader. For this discussion, we'll be joined by the legend himself, Crabmaster2000, to talk about this episodic adventure and the recent sad fate of its developer. You can listen to our show on Podbean and iTunes, where we always appreciate a good review. On Twitter, we're at RFG Playcast, and Rich is at The Single Banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Love Skype. <laughs> oh, fuck Skype, man. It's pissing me off. <laughs> you know, I have Skype at my work and it's so simple. It's so easy to add people to calls and start meetings and share my screen and all this. <laughs> but now I come on here on the civilian version and it's total garbage. I don't know what the hell. I think because when you add Canadians to the call, it does that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ruin everything. Oh, we're truly international again, Rich. Yeah, we are. When was the the last show that you were international? Uh, uh, I, I guess probably, oh, probably Kevin. Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Buried on Mars has joined us, and Pam's joined us a few times as well. So, right, been a while though. I haven't heard them on for a little bit. Yeah, I think Kevin was on last year, and Pam was on last year. So, uh, yeah, have to get those guys on again sometime. Be nice. So, uh, if you're joining us. You may recognize the voice in the background. It's the Collector Cast Crabmaster 2000. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, good, yeah. good. What you been up to? 
tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on in your life. I know you've had some uh, recent changes. Well, I used to have a game store, and about three months ago, it changed hands uh, to a new owner who's a friend of mine. He's taking care of that now, and I'm back to one job and a family, which is plenty to keep me busy. Yeah. I've got a buddy who owns a game store as well, and, you know, it's that big dream of doing it and doing something you love, and then you realize it's a business, and you have to be there all the time, and it's it can take a toll. It's tough, you know? Yeah, even when you're not there, it's on your mind a lot, too, and, and yeah. almost immediately when, when we passed hands over, like, you just literally felt just freer. Yeah. Well, it's cool, man, and you got to have that experience. It's awesome, something you can always remember. And uh, you just had a recent blog post on RF Generation about some people that came in your store and, um, you know, that you're kind of close to and some of the, uh, you know, the remnants and memories of uh, owning a game store, right? Yeah, like it was positive experience the whole way through. It, like it was stressful and there, there was not always upsides, but um, yeah. I don't regret it at all. Um, I met a lot of amazing people through it. And a lot of really cool, interesting memories. And, and I feel like I know the city I live in so much better than, than I would have otherwise, just with all the interactions I've had with City Hall and the general public and other businesses. And like, it's been, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure all of our listeners out there want to know when the next Collector Cast episode is. You guys I don't know. Planning I'm more anything? available now. I know Chris <laughs> has got time to like rebuild Apple IIs lately, so I'm sure he's got time. We've got to wrangle Bill, and I think we're good. <laughs> you know, I had to ask. We asked the tough questions on the show, right, Sean? <laughs> that is true. So now, Krabby, is this the first time that you and I have been on the air together? I think it is. Yeah, so it's pretty cool, man, because I've said it many times on the air the time i was on the collector cast was an episode that you weren't on <laughs> but i i said that we'll get into it you pretty much started the community playthroughs we've talked about that before and i don't want to talk too much out of school but you and i tend to butt heads behind the scenes and have a little <laughs> bit of uh you know fun going back and forth over things and friendly debates in private messaging so it's really I'm so glad you <laughs> said fun back and forth i'm not always sure so that's this good no i've yeah i've never had any animosity towards you i i I love that we have different opinions on a lot of these things. Yeah, well, it's mutual. There's no animosity. And I love to be able to debate with somebody. So it's it's kind of cool to finally be on the air. And, you know, I've heard your voice, you know, over the years, but I couldn't remember if we've ever actually spoken together. So this is actually really cool. No, and I, I, I didn't miss that many episodes of Collector Cast yet. So that was just uh, a weird uh, that we didn't meet up at that yeah. point. Well, here we are. So... Are you ready for some... At last. <laughs> I'm always ready for right. some Batman. You have to struggle through some concert well, gas first, though. Duke's I was going to say, if you've ever heard our show before, you know, you got... That's fine. I just got the, the animated series theme song running through my head. I'll phase out for like 20 minutes so you guys do your thing and jump back in when necessary. Oh, man. Well, do you want to do the concert cast first, Rich? That's what's in the, that's what's in yeah, the notes first. Yeah, let's knock first. it out, man. Do a quick one. All right. Well, I mean, do a regular one. Don't don't <laughs> rush through it for me. I'll, I'll chime in if I can. <laughs> well, there's actually there's something I wanted to talk about in the last show, but we I just commandeered the first section of our last episode, so I even left out things that I wanted to talk about. And one of the things I wanted to do is shout out 
one of my wife's co-workers because I have this bass guitar that belonged to my late sister. It's just a sentimental thing that I hold on to. And um, I'm not a huge bass player. I was always a guitar player. But I noticed that the thing is just sitting in a closet and it was starting to get really grungy and I didn't want it to rust and get nasty and fall into complete disrepair. So I cleaned it up a little bit and I bought a case, not a case, but what's called a gig bag, which is, you know, basically a padded bag for a guitar or a bass. And uh, so then just by sheer coincidence, a few days after that, my wife says, oh, I work with a guy who's a like a retired guitar tech. And uh, he says, if you have any instruments that you want set up, he'll do it for you for free. I said, you know what, Why don't, can we give him this bass? Like, he can set it up for me and uh, maybe I could start playing it. The bass is a Squire Bronco bass, which is actually still in production. You can buy one off Amazon right now for $150. It's a short-scale beginner model bass. And I always thought it's it was just a piece of junk because it didn't play well. It never stayed in tune. The action was way too high. Like everything was wrong with it. But as it would turn out, all it needed was a good setup because this guy, John, did such a good job on this bass. I play it every day now. I've been playing it every day for about the past two months. And he told me like the bridge saddles were upside down. <laughs> so like there were there were just like easy technical things wrong with the the way the bass was. And I got to tell you, I take it, get out of the bag. I, you know, you're supposed to tune up every single time you play. It's always in tune. It stays in tune, which is amazing because the thing would never stay in tune. It's just really cool. I practice every day. I have a little playlist on Spotify on my phone, songs I'm, I've learned, and I just try to add new songs as I learn them. And yeah, it's it's been really cool playing music again. So I don't know where it's going to go. I'd love to join a band and take over the world, but... We'll see where that goes. Yeah. Well, the two of us are free, I think. So, uh, yeah, you do that. All right. When do you want to jam? <laughs> Crabby, you play, right? Uh, I used to play, and I haven't picked up my guitar since I opened the store. So there's like a five-year gap where I didn't touch it. I've just recently been been trying to get back into it again. So I've been playing almost every day for at least an hour to kind of get back to where I was. Yeah. I'm trying to push my son to take lessons so that I can... Uh, steal lessons from him you know what i mean so i can learn it's something i always wanted to do and i've always had a guitar i know several chords and things like that but i've never uh, had the patience to play I, I really admire people that can do that right now i'm just playing over songs that i know which is really fun like and certain songs have like different benefits to practicing them there's some that like i like playing uh the strokes hard to explain which is one of my favorite songs in general but that song is recorded over a drum machine and there's it's just 16th notes all day. And it's like really a, a good lesson for like keeping the rhythm, you know what I mean? But what I'd really like to do is start writing music again, which I haven't written an actual song and it's been at least five years, like a very long time. So I don't know where the if or where that inspiration would come from, but I'm hoping are you uh, learning any Ace of Bass or Hanson songs? <laughs> no, no Hanson. I, I got a really right. good playlist. The first thing I picked up was The Killing Moon by Echo oh, and the yeah. Bunnymen. The and then yeah. Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode. I'm even playing like the keyboard parts on the bass, like on the high strings. 
and then um, a song called Breaking Up by Charlie XCX, which I think, Rich, you would really like that song and that album. It's very, like, rock influence. And I'm learning new new stuff all the time. So I was supposed to shout out this guy, John, last episode, but we just didn't have time. Uh, so anyway, let me get on. I actually went to some of the shows that I talked about getting tickets for. The, the MXPX show is really cool, and they're not... I think I said they're not a band that I really loved, but uh, Corey, uh, my friend and the designer of our logo, friend of the show, is uh, a big fan of them. So we went and it was cool because they played uh, obviously a lot of their new album, which I had listened to and it's very good. And then they played all their old hits. So I wasn't really lost or bored or, you know, hearing stuff that I had no idea what it was. So that was pretty cool. And then the Gary Newman show, I actually didn't mention on the air when I got tickets for this because I bought them kind of on a whim because I didn't even know if I wanted to go. But I was really, when we were prepping for that 1989 segment, I was listening to so much synth pop and I went back, you know, further back than 1989, obviously. And uh, the Gary Newman show was scheduled for a long time. And I was just kind of like, do I want to go? Do I want to go? And finally, when I was so into it, I just got tickets. And man... That show, I mean, it was more like being at a Nine Inch Nails concert than being at like an 80s synth pop concert. You know what I mean? He came out, his, his guitar players are all freakish looking. They look, they're all dressed like mummies and they come out and, you know, it was spooky and scary. It was, I mean, I had listened to his new album a lot. So musically, I guess I kind of knew what to expect, but the stage show was was really good. Yeah, he's always been a bit eccentric, you know? Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, a couple of days after that concert, he they had a tour bus accident. I think it was in Cleveland where they... Yeah, I sent you that link. Yeah, yeah, my wife saw that too. It, they hit like a 90-year-old man, which is really sad. And I got to wonder and I got to think like a 90-year-old man, I don't know, maybe he couldn't see very well, couldn't hear very well. I just hope it just happened quickly and that it was a, just a total accident and no negligence was involved. Yeah. I guess that's all you can say about that. Just very sad, you know? But on a side note, kind of a cool way to die though, right? Get hit by Gary Newman's tour bus. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be so morbid, but I mean, that would be kind of like the apex. Worst ways me, to go. Yeah. yeah. It's better than, you know, getting hit by Paula Abdul's tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that brings me to the uh, Andrew WK concert which was last week or the week before I can't remember but that was awesome dude like it was better than I hoped it would be uh, he came out and just what an awesome showman what an awesome musician and uh, you know they encored and the, the last thing they played was Party Hard and he counted down from not a hundred, but he counted down from like 93 to one. He said, we're going to make this like a, <laughs> a, a, a rocket ship taking off and counts all the way down from 93 <laughs> to one. It was, it was just, it was crazy. Why 93? I don't, I don't know. It was some, I don't know if it was exactly 93, but it wasn't a hundred. It was some arbitrary number. He's just a weird dude. Did they play that song that they played on the E3 stage this year? The, the in front of the rage demo i actually don't i didn't see that so i don't know what song it oh, was no. um, that's the first time i've seen him in years he, he came on e3 and and uh when they were announcing rage uh, he played like a theme song for it oh that's i wasn't awesome. sure if you made it for that song or if it was off a newer album or something no I, I, well i don't know i'll have to check that out but um 
They actually started the set with the first song off the new album. Uh, the song's called Music is Worth Living For, and it's an awesome song. Great way to kick off the show. And uh, yeah, just amazing, uh, amazing performance. And then, of course, they came out with this... Um, stereo gum article from michael nelson talking about all the conspiracies of andrew andrew wk over the years it's an interesting rabbit hole if you want to go down it but basically it kind of it's one of those like paul is dead things like it's just a i don't know how to explain it conspiracy theory urban legends kind of stuff dealing with andrew wk but i saw the man in the flesh and he's a hell of a musician and a hell of a performer so you know it's real to me so He's down in Panama sipping on my guys. <laughs> That's a cologne. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, uh, I did have one ticket pickup, and I'll talk about it now, and then not for a very long time because the show is not till March of next year. But uh, Corey and I have a, a band that's on our bucket list. I mean, living in Austin, you see so many of your favorite bands all the time that your bucket list is really blessedly short. It's such a privileged position for a music fan to be living here. But there's this band, Saves the Day. They started out as a pop punk band, kind of went more into indie territory in their career. Every one of their albums has kind of a different flavor. The funny thing is, they're from New Jersey, and they've probably played 50,000 shows in New Jersey, and somehow I, I've never seen them. Because you've been at Bon Jovi, no. man. That's why. <laughs> yeah, my wife has seen Bon Jovi. I have not. I went to so many punk shows when I was in high school and college, and the fact that I've never seen Saves a Day kind of befuddles me. But, you know, I have a friend back in New Jersey. They're his favorite band. He's, he's seen them like over 50 times, so... I've always wanted to see them, and now they are finally coming back to Austin. They played Austin like two years ago, and we missed it for some reason. But yeah, I got tickets for that. So I do believe that's it for my concert cast. Rich, you got anything? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, back in April, I was supposed to go see Bone Thugs, <laughs> and uh, that show got moved to September. Right. And so I was supposed to go see them a few weeks ago, and lo and behold, a little thing called Hurricane Florence came through our area, and they canceled once again, and this time they refunded ticket money. So oh, man. Uh, I will not be seeing Bone Thugs, which I'm a little disappointed in. Uh, it's kind of a heartbreaker, but at the same time, it saves me uh, quite a bit of money. My buddy that bought us tickets, he was supposed to get like $40 seats and ended up getting some for like, I think, 90 bucks. <laughs> So I was like, wow, dude. Uh, So that kind of saved me a little bit of money on them. So I'm pretty happy about that. But uh, last Sunday, my wife and I actually drove down to Charlotte for the day and got to see Jason Isbell. And uh, that was a fantastic show. It was at a very small amphitheater. And um, some people call it country and like kind of the... I don't want to call it new country because when you say new country, it sounds like pop music. And this is not pop music. This is just really strong, sturdy songwriting. If you're not a fan of country music, you'll still really like this music. It's really heartfelt and wonderful lyrics. And uh, we got lawn seats at this small amphitheater. And we were up at the front with the lawn. A buddy of mine from high school and his wife. And, um, man, it was probably about... 68 degrees outside, little breeze, just beautiful starlit night, and uh, 
some just amazing tunes. It was just great. My wife and I had such a good time. She was more excited to go to the show probably than I was. But um, yeah, good time. Did an encore and uh, it was Springsteen's birthday. So uh, he ended his set with Atlantic City off of Nebraska. And uh, man, I was so happy about that because uh, Springsteen's Nebraska is in my top 10 favorite albums of all time. Such a great album. Not one that gets a lot of love from a lot of people, but if you like some really gritty storytelling, it's a, it's a good one to pick up. So uh, yeah, that's it. Fun show. Out of tickets right now, so I'm going to have to buy something. Uh, there's a few shows that are coming in December. Looking into some tickets to go see Ghost. Crabby, you probably know those guys pretty well. I, I know of them. They're, they're, I'm not a fan, though. Yeah, I know a lot no, of people I, that I've are tried like that. a few times. I just can't. They don't jive for some reason. Yeah. I think it's kind of their shtick that just doesn't go for a lot of people. I love the music, but some people don't like sort of the dressing up and kind of the shtick that goes along with that. Uh, no, that doesn't bug me at all. I listen to tons of bands that wear weird yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is I think some people think it's kind of a forced kind of thing, you know, when, oh, sure. you know, I think they're just kind of having fun with it. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people like yourself that don't care for the music either. But uh, yeah. I'm trying to get tickets for that. And then Krungbin, who I've talked about on the show before and even put a track on uh, one of our last podcasts, they're playing um, in Durham sometime in December. So I may try to go check them out. It's a little bit of a kind of shoegazy show because there's not a lot of lyrics, but uh, hopefully uh, the wife and I can make it down for that one. So that's it. That's awesome. Krabby, have you been to any shows lately or in recent memory? Or are you going to any that you're amped up for? You guys are so fortunate where you live. It's a little, I'm a little jealous listening to all these shows that come near you because where I live, I am lucky that like that one show comes here that I want to see within like a five year period. So I have to do big travels. So I've actually I've gone to two shows this whole year and I had to travel five hours for one of them and nine oh, hours for damn. the other one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us about one of them or or both of them. In February, I went and saw Behemoth, Lamb of God, and Slayer about four hours north of me. Yeah, nice. cool. Um, and I wasn't familiar with Behemoth before we went in, and they're like a, a Polish black metal band. And they were amazing to watch live. Like, they do the whole dress-up shtick, too. Like, they've got the inverted crosses and the war paint on and fire shooting out behind them and stuff. But the drummer was amazing to watch live. I went out and bought some of their albums afterwards, uh, which was really cool to, to get into this band that I wasn't familiar with. And the other two were, you know, they were what I wanted, I expected. And then uh, it's hard for me to go to those kind of shows, too, because I don't have a lot of friends that like the same kind of music. So I dragged one friend around with me who'd never heard of any of these bands and, and just forced them through the night with me. But then a couple of months later, uh, Nightwish came to Canada and did a, did a tour, which they haven't done in a really long time. And it was close to where my brother-in-law lives. So I took my wife with me to that show. Um, we stayed with her brother for a couple of days and he watched the kids while we went out that night. And it was a blast. It was like a two-hour show, just Nightwish. And they played uh, like a Decades tour. So they went through their whole catalog and played a little something off everything. Kind of hit all most of the sweet spots for me. There was a couple songs I would have liked to hear. But for the most part, it was a really awesome set list. Very cool, man. Yeah. That is awesome. And, and yeah, I never lose sight of how grateful I am to live here. And even living in New Jersey, it was close enough to New York City that it was worthwhile to go to a lot of shows but 
to get to Brooklyn, for example, where a lot of shows were, you know, a lot of the bands I like play these little clubs in Brooklyn. To get there could be an hour and a half to two hour project. And no, that's not a five hour to nine hour drive like you're talking about. But it's just like, yeah, do I really want to go to Brooklyn to see this band? And it's like, no, it's not worth that. All the bridges and tolls and everything. So like living here, it's like, do I really want to see Gary Newman? Oh, yeah, it's on a Friday night. It's a five minute drive. I'll even go by myself. I don't care. You know what I mean? So I am so grateful for that. And even coming home after a show is just such a nice, placid experience, just driving home to my house. And (laughs) I can't express how grateful I am for just being so close to it all. So, yeah, I totally get that. No, that's cool. Like when we did the five hour drive, like we drove the five hours, uh, watched the show and then drove right back five hours. Oh, like it was, damn, we didn't spend the night or anything. Man. Like it was a, a big day just to go to this one concert. Uh, I can't imagine that, man. My gosh. We don't get a lot of big acts willing to come this far north. Uh, once in a while we do like five or six years ago, Kiss came through. Um, Elton John came around the same time. And I don't think we've had anyone really noteworthy since then. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we get a few good local shows, but most of my shows, I'm usually driving about an hour and a half out. But it's not the same thing like driving to somewhere like Charlotte or, you know, Raleigh or Durham because they're kind of equidistant both ways for me. It's not the same as it would be like driving through Brooklyn or something like that with all the traffic and driving through like huge big city blocks and things like that. Everything's still kind of out in the open and you're not in the city very far when you go see these shows. So it's it's pretty relaxing and like a nice little interstate drive on the way there and back. So it's not bad. Nice. The drive we took north, it's not a great drive in the winter. There's this area called the Pine Pass where you have about an hour and a half to two hours of no cell service. And like if the roads didn't get plowed, like you're stuck there until the morning when the plows come and so it was a little scary in February to do that drive, but but we did it both ways. It was fine. Yeah. Well, I'm glad the sled dogs made it. That's good. <laughs> That's always the backup. You bring those <laughs> with you just in case. Well, we got a really good um, suggestion from one of our closest Twitter friends of something to listen to. Yeah. And uh, Rich, you took the plunge first. You actually uh, picked it up on vinyl. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, Krabby's met this guy at uh, Retro World Expo, our buddy Pocky X. He actually listens to our show quite a bit and gives some good feedback on Twitter for us. He's a really fun follow, and uh, if you're interested, he also works uh, with a community of gamers. They call themselves Poop Gamer, and what that is, it's a... Uh, is that the code like a, Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, inside <laughs> joke uh, <laughs> uh, so this uh, this poop gamer group what they do is they have these YouTube videos and it's basically based on games you can play while you're on the toilet <laughs> and so they're like you know either handheld or kind of phone games and stuff like that the videos are really really great and you should definitely follow that but um, our buddy Pocky X said, there's this album that I want you guys to check out because he'd listened to our 1989 episode. And and this album is not from 1989. It's actually from 1978, which I was to find out later. And it just blew my mind. But it's Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. And what this is, is it's the story, um, War of the Worlds, 
but it basically has this sort of like electro kind of funk music that kind of goes along with it. And they'll read like excerpts from the story. So you get this whole story on a double vinyl album. I actually listened to it on YouTube and I was like, man, this is awesome, Sean. You know, you got to check this out, man. And I went to one of my favorite used media stores and I was just flipping through a stack of records. I wasn't looking for this or anything, but my gosh, there it was for 89 cents. <laughs> and uh, so I found it on vinyl and immediately picked it up. It is a fantastic listen. And if you like something just kind of, um, you know, kind of funky, weird, but like with some great, uh, you know, electronic sounds and storytelling, it's it's really great, like background music. I'll put it on my headphones at work and, you know, just listen to it as I go throughout my day. But uh, Sean, you listen to it too, right? Yeah, I listened to it once. I will go back to it because I was kind of blown away by like some of the A-side songs, I, could, I guess you could call them. It's funny because the Spotify listing for this album has like 160 tracks because there's it has like all this bonus material. You can tell when the album ends and the bonus material starts, but uh, I was like, what the hell is this? 160 tracks or whatever it was. But that's why there's just so much bonus material on Spotify. Uh, but yeah, I was like, the song, and uh, I don't remember the lyrics exactly, but when he's talking to the scientists and they start singing about there's only a, a one in a million chance that life could come from Mars, just the synths and the guitars, like I was... I was really blown away by it. It was really, yeah. really good. There's a lot of guest singers on it. He has a very distinct voice, so I'm not like exactly patting myself on the back, but I was like, is that Philip Linet? And it was like Phil Linet is in this. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people, a lot of names I didn't recognize, but a few that I did. So it's really cool. Yeah, it reminds me, I don't know if you guys have ever seen like this um anime called Wizards. I think it's from like the seventies. I think it's the same guy that did like Fritz the cat. And I can't think of what it was, uh, what his name is, but uh, it's this really strange kind of bizarre anime. And it's sort of storytelling in the same way, but it has all this funky music and sense. Or if you've seen something like the last unicorn, have you ever seen that one from like the seventies? I just picked no. a copy of that up on VHS this last week at thrift wow. store. <laughs> Do you like it? Have you seen it Yeah, before, I've seen Grant? it years ago. Uh, I actually realized when I got home I had a second copy on VHS, so I've got two of them now. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, man. Yeah, uh, the band America does the soundtrack for that, but Ooh, it's really kind of synthy and funky. Yeah, Sean, pick up a copy of The Last Unicorn, man. The, the animation on it is creepy, too. Or, yeah, <laughs> I don't have you want it on VHS. Come on. <laughs> It's coming from Canada. It only costs you $30. Yeah, ship. shipping's not bad. And customs won't even care. <laughs> oh, uh, but those two things are what this album reminded me of. And I grew up with The Last Unicorn. And Wizards was uh, one of those VHSs that I would rent from the video store all the time. And uh, it was pretty inappropriate. But I don't think my parents ever watched it with <laughs> me when I was a kid. So uh, uh, it's pretty violent. And... Uh, Let's just say the ladies are a little bouncy in it, too. So, uh, yeah, Young Rich uh, approved. <laughs> nice. Now, Kelsey, I know you're a metalhead, but would you check out this War of the Worlds thing? Does it pique your interest at all? It doesn't pique my interest, but if you guys think it's worth listening to, I can at least check it out. Yeah, it's yeah, worth it at least shot. a try, you know. I, I don't intentionally do it. I just really don't enjoy almost any music that's not metal. Hey, that's fair. I mean, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I kind of gave up trying looking for other music like 
six or seven years ago. Um, it's just, I never found anything that spoke to me the same way, I guess. Well, at least that's better than some, when somebody says, and I know people like this who say, well, I don't really like music. It's like, how, how could you not like music? Like that's part of the human experience. You I know? felt like that until I was like 16 because everything I heard didn't attract me. Like it just made me feel nothing. And then right. I found like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. And I was like, oh yeah, there's, there's something that, that makes me feel. And, and I grew from there, but I, I really felt that way. People used to look at me really weird in, in like junior high when I tell them, I'd be, I don't know, I don't like anything. Wow. Well, at least you've discovered metal and it brings you joy and, and warmth in your Boy, heart. Boy, does it. It does. <laughs> Good looking <in> hell. <laughs> I'll be warm and joyful there too. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Last calls on the concert cast. Anything else music related? Oh, that's it for me, man. All right. So I want to move on real quickly. I just want to give a quick anime recommendation. There is a, a little bit of a story, a little bit of a train of thought of how I p- picked up this anime. They used to have a thing called the Anime Brunch Club here in Austin where there was a fan magazine called Pomegranate. They would rent the Alamo Draft House and have the Anime Brunch Club where you would go to the movie theater and they would serve you food and drink just like normal. But instead of a movie, they would play four quote-unquote random episodes of different anime series. But they were under a theme each week. So one week it was romance, the next week it was horror, the next week it was sports. That's a really cool idea, actually. Dude, I miss it so much. When they shut it down, I almost cried. I went went to the people who... uh, you know, who were putting it on and, you know, I had to like shake their hands and just thank them profusely. It was just, it was such a nice way to spend a Sunday morning. You know what I mean? Um, they shut it down. Yeah, yeah man. I missed tentacle porn week. <laughs> you could have called me. I would have flown down there. Dude. Yeah, it was such a highlight. So anyway, the one, one week was, was sports anime. And one of the episodes they played was an anime called attack number one, which, which is actually, recognized as the first female sports anime it's from the late 60s and it's a volleyball anime and they showed the first episode of that show and it's really great and funny and if you can find it on the internet i highly recommend it so that led me to go on youtube and just search female sports anime and i saw this um, video by a youtuber called 4-2 believer title female sports anime and it was a really good video it's very comprehensive of the unfortunately very few female sports anime but there was in this video something called princess nine which was a baseball anime with a female baseball team so i saw this video like you know a a year or two ago or whenever it was Fast forward to about a week ago, I'm in the Austin Public Library branch near my house, and I'm looking at the animated DVDs, and I see Princess Nine, and I was kind of on the fence for a second, like, oh, do I really want to commit to watching an anime series right now? I'm reading a lot, trying to play video games, but I just grabbed it. I watched it, and it was really awesome. The story is that there's an all-girls school where the chairwoman of the school wants to start a baseball team because she wants to base the team around this pitcher named Ryo Hayakawa, who is the daughter of a professional pitcher who had a 
previous relationship with the chairwoman. The chairwoman is not Rio's mother, but a former lover of her father. So she says like, oh, I can see him when she's pitching kind of thing. Um, so she recruits Rio, gives her a scholarship and tries to build a baseball team around it. And then it becomes kind of a, a little bit slice of life. You're meeting a new character each episode as they build the team. And then once they put the team together, they start playing games against the boys and it becomes more of a sports action anime. And then towards the end, there's a little bit of romance. I wasn't in love with the romance, no pun intended, but uh, I really liked the characters and Rich, there's one character in this anime named Izumi, and she is just cold as ice. She's out to win, but she's got a heart of gold. I think you <laughs> you would love her. Our kind of girl, yeah, right? Yeah, I think she should be kind of an honorary member of our club that we have going with the, the bad girls. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was just surprisingly good, so I wanted to recommend it on the show here. If you like baseball, if you like Slice of Life, it's not cutesy. It's not super girly. Not that I would have cared if it was. And it's not fan servicey at all. There's one episode that has a little bit of fan service, but it's used as a joke within the show. And it's not just for the sake of fan service. It's not gratuitous, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's part of a joke that is part of that episode. So yeah, it's really, really good. Very cool. Check that out. Awesome. All right, Krabby, I'm going to kick it over to you because we got to talk about this Ticketmaster thing. And uh, you brought this to our attention. Can you just give us a little rundown of uh, of what's going yeah, on here? Just Because you guys go to more shows than anybody that I know by a large <laughs> amount. So in the news up here lately, we've been hearing a lot about this Ticketmaster scandal where they have been actively recruiting scalpers encouraging them to buy larger amount of tickets than they're supposed to be able to buy through the Ticketmaster website and then reselling them through the Ticketmaster website so that they're double and triple dipping sometimes on the commissions they make off these tickets. So I was just wondering if you guys have heard about this and, and what your thoughts are on that because I'm assuming you use Ticketmaster or something like that to, to purchase most of these tickets for your shows. Yeah, when you when you first mentioned it, um, there's another kind of Ticketmaster scandal going on that I'll, I'll talk about after we finish talking about this. And that involves like this thing Taylor Swift's doing. But um, I don't know. I mean, Sean, I know a lot of the shows you go to are probably like kind of private clubs. You may not use Ticketmaster too much, or maybe you do. I mean, even some of the smaller venues that I go to use Ticketmaster. But a lot of times I don't go to... I guess I want to say like a lot of big name shows. A few I do. So I guess I primarily use Ticketmaster, but I don't really see much of that that goes on. Most of the stuff I go to, but uh, yeah, that's really crappy that uh, they're doing that. One of the things that I have noticed, though, is when I'll get tickets to a show and it's sold out, say like um, the David Byrne show that I went to early in the year, I got a message like a week before the show. It's like, are you going to the show still? If not, why don't you sell your tickets back to us? We'll buy them back. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to buy back your tickets. And, of course, they're not going to give you the money for the service charges that they've already gotten from you. They're just going to give you face value for the tickets. And then they're going to resell those and double dip and recoup you know, more service charges on other people. So, I mean, I think that's kind of dirty, too, but not to the extent of them working with scalpers. Yeah, that's dirty. No. Like on some of the newscasts I've been listening to, um, they've got recordings of like undercover investigators for the newspapers and the radio stations 
talking with Ticketmaster employees and they're like teaching them how to set up multiple accounts so they can exceed the ticket lim- limit per person and, and get thousands of tickets in some cases. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It's a huge scale. It's not, not like, like you're talking like just one or two people doing some buybacks. It's like people taking like up to 75% of the available tickets and reselling those. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's really gross. And I can't remember the last time I dealt with Ticketmaster. I probably would if I went to a stadium show around here and there are a couple arenas in my vicinity, but I haven't been to any big shows since I lived here. Uh, most of the time it is through the venue itself, uh, their box office, or there's some promoters who run shows at multiple venues. So you get your tickets through them. It's most of the time it's Eventbrite, if you guys know that website. Yeah, yeah that's what I use this year, actually. It's the first time I've used them. Yeah. So uh, I'm just trying to think of like what, and maybe they said this on the newscast, uh, Krabby, if the legal, I'm trying to think of the legal problems that Ticketmaster, like what are they violating? They're seemingly violating their own terms of service by having people create multiple accounts. And then also like, does that constitute fraud? You know what I mean? I don't know if there's any legal action against him yet from what it sounds like it's more anti-consumer companies coming after them. Um, and there was talk that there might be a legal challenge in terms of them having a monopoly on tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, right. but that's all I've heard. The old Eddie Vedder fight the good fight, right? <laughs> Cause he was fighting that back in the nineties, which is something we were kind of talking about off the record. Yeah. That was crazy back in the day. Like, it seems like Ticketmaster's always been kind of scummy. So what's the Taylor Swift thing now? All right. So in an effort to combat scalpers and to give her true fans the tickets, what Taylor Swift has done is created a program with Ticketmaster that's an incentive program. So what you do is if you buy her album, your priority goes up. You can do things like buy T-shirts, buy albums, buy little gold rings, and all other things to make your priority in line go up as opposed to scalpers. So Taylor Swift saying, I'm doing this for my fans, but in actuality, I mean, she's lining her pockets too, right? Selling more merchandise, selling more CDs. And so, you know, it, it still creates this sort of dichotomy of, you know, there may be some kids out there that really want to go to the show and whose parents really want to take them to the show. But then you have this other kid out there whose parents have deep pockets, can buy multiple copies of the album and, you know, all this junk just to get better tickets. I kind of see what she's doing and maybe the intent's right from her perspective, or maybe like there's an agent that's pushing her to do this. But at the same time, it feels really dirty to me as well. And so, uh, you know, I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I want to call that scummy, but I just had the exact same experience where Nintendo makes me pay for an online service so I can order some controllers through them, <laughs> which is the same idea, and I have no problem with that. So I don't know if I could talk badly about it. Yeah, I think there are better ways to do that without costing people money. My wife went to New Jersey about a month ago, and she was able to pay an extra $25 or something to print her boarding pass early or, or whatever it was. So, I mean, I have no problem with value-added services, but I don't think this is a good scenario for it. You know, you could do things like when I saw Tegan and Sarah, I got a pre-sale on the tickets just because I have their albums favorited on Spotify. So you could do something like that. I know Taylor Swift doesn't like Spotify, but that's besides the point. You could do something like 
uh, if you retweet my thing, you have a chance to get in line for a better ticket. So I don't know. Like, it seems like there's better ways to do it rather than shilling your merchandise. And I don't have a problem with shilling merchandise, but I think you're right. It does create like a haves and have nots kind of situation. So Especially when a lot of her fans, I'd assume, would skew younger too and, and not always employed and have mm-hmm. jobs and extra income. Right. Yeah, exactly. Here's my solution, man. And you guys are old as f- too, so you remember this. <laughs> I say we just all line up at record bar until those damn things go on sale at 10 o'clock and buy them like we used to. Do you remember that? You guys used to stand in line like at the mall or whatever at, at the uh, record store and just wait for them to open and the computers would start up at like 10 o'clock <laughs> and you would just walk up to the counter and whatever tickets were left, you would just get. I don't remember that. I've Sorry. never had that experience either. <laughs> God, where's Duke Togo when I need him? <laughs> I only went to a few concerts when I was very young before the internet, but I think we ordered the tickets over the phone and they were mailed to us. Okay. I think. I, I, I remember I standing remember. in line for my uh, Def Leppard Queensryche Operation Minecraft oh, tour. Uh, very tickets, jealous uh, of that. $17.50, man. When I first moved Down low. where I'm living now, <laughs> Queensryche was supposed to be here the month after I moved here. Had my tickets in hand, and they canceled last minute, and they never said why, and I was very disappointed. I've never got to see them live now. Well, they opened up for Def Leppard, so officially they are the first band I've ever seen live. Wow, that would have been an amazing tour, too, the Minecraft tour. Oh. Yeah, and Hysteria tour for Def Leppard. So. It was a big one for them, too, yeah. Yeah, good show. Nice. All right. Well, let's move on into the the news section. Uh, Rich, you got something about a Twilight Zone reboot here. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. Um, They're talking about rebooting Twilight Zone soon. And um, Peele's doing that, right? Yeah. Jordan Peele is going to host it, which is really, really cool. Peele was the director of Get Out, which was a great horror film that came out last year. And if you haven't seen it, you got to pick it up. It's totally worth a watch. So good. And and won several awards, including, I think, the uh, the main character was up for Best Actor at the Oscars last year. And that's really, really rare for a horror film. But um, it has a lot of social implications, and it, it really makes for a great film. But, uh, yeah, he's done some great stuff. And... Um, He's going to be hosting that, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. However, uh, kind of the only negative side is that it's going to be on CBS All Access, so it's not going to be on their network station. It's going to be on one of these pay-for stations. That's the rumor that's going around. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've always wanted this ability to choose what channels we wanted and pay a la carte (laughs) instead of paying for these cable bills. But now we have so many ways to get media, you know, Netflix, Prime, Hulu, and all these different services that it seems that we're paying just as much now than we would by just getting, you know, a cable service or satellite or something like that. My wife and I were just talking about that. Like, it's ridiculous now. It's it's even worse in some cases. If you want to watch all these shows, it costs more than than it used to have a cable package. It's nuts. Yeah, and there's there's nothing you can do about it because now if you get cable, you can't watch all these other shows. Yeah. You know, HBO Go or, well, you can't get HBO Go, but, you know, Netflix and all this other stuff, they're doing all these great series and, uh, you know, just pan out the butt for TV, which just really sucks. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm interested to check it out, but, uh, you know, it's probably going to be something that I'm not going to see from the beginning and, uh, 
you know, just having to have to pick up on later if it comes out on uh, Betamax or, you know, whatever they put it out on. <laughs> nice. Uh, so we got the new Shmup coming up. It's a game that I actually have in my collection. I have the NES version. That is 1942. Rich, tell us a little bit about this. It was recently announced. Yeah, um, the Shmup Club for October has picked the game 1942. It was an arcade game, and in most places it's going to be a port to that version. The uh, NES definitely is a good port of that game. You think that's a good port? That's a terrible port, I think. <sighs> It's not bad. I mean, considering it's pretty bad. I mean, what you know, what the NES had and the capabilities. <laughs> I played it a lot as a kid. You know, it's yeah, all I had. Forty three is amazing on the NES. Forty two is like it's got like that terrible like uh, military drumming the whole time, just grates on you, and so much <laughs> flickering and slow down. And ugh, I, I think that's a terrible part. The arcade game is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I, I just think the yeah. NES version is not not up to par. Well, this may make you happy. I'm playing the actual arcade version because I have it in my my multicade. So I'm going to be playing the um, the original version. But I'm like you. I I prefer 1943 anyway. I like the special, which is the uh, the lightning bolts oh, yeah. over the oh, uh, yeah. flip of the plane. I think it's just a little easier to control. And it's more of a screen wipe. And uh, you know, when you do the flip, you always chance of uh, coming down going on back something. into enemy yeah. fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but still, man, uh, a cool game. And like I said, one that I played a lot. You know, on the NES growing up. So. So uh, not having a lot of access to arcade, yeah, not as good as the arcade, but uh, still a really, really cool pick. And so yeah. I hope everyone will definitely join the Shmup Club for that in October. Yeah, super important game, too, as far as shoot 'em ups go. Mm-hmm. Very much so. I'm actually looking forward to hearing the podcast about it because, uh, like I've said before on here, those guys are so knowledgeable. It's such a fun show to listen to. I could never talk about a shmup for an hour and a half like those guys do. Uh, so uh, You're going to talk about quick time events for the next hour, so get ready. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> the outline is a little small this month. <laughs> yeah. thing in our news segment is the recently announced 
PlayStation Mini. I don't know exactly what they're calling it. And Classics. I'll be honest, I didn't. PlayStation Classic. PlayStation yeah. Classic. Okay, cool. Yeah. I wasn't paying too much attention to it because I'm not going to get it. As much of a fan of the PS1 as I am, I, I have many different ways to play my PS1 games. However, I think this is a cool thing, you know. I'm just going to say straight up, I think it's stupid all the tweets I see that, oh, they're just copying <laughs> Nintendo. Like, come on, dudes. It's a friggin' plug and play. They've been around for 20 years. <laughs> they Maybe saw they how saw much the money the, the Super Nintendo and the NES made too. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So I'll say copying Nintendo, saying that grates me, but saying they're riding their coattails, I'm fine with that. They saw how <laughs> successful the NES and the SNES classics were, and they rightfully said, let's make a PS1 classic. So since we have a guest, uh, Rich came up with the idea that we'll just kind of bounce off each other and kind of put together what would our dream PS1 classic be, uh, because I think there are going to be 20 or 21 games on the thing. 20, yeah. We have to do 21 because there's three of us, so we got to oh, have what an it was. equal okay. amount of picks. But just with the caveat as well, I think I sent you guys a message about what I'd like to do is say like, okay, these are like the 21 essential games that should be on this system. And then we can kind of talk about games that we really like. And if we were doing our own system, what we would put sure. on there. But, you know, think about it from the perspective of what would make PlayStation the most money. And we're we're kind of not necessarily taking the five they've already announced, right? Some of them are obvious oh, yeah. shoe-ins, but there's some deep grabs in there like Jumping Flash. Yeah, there's some doo-doo on what they've already announced anyway. I don't really like some of the games. No, so. I think they're all solid. They're not the most exciting or even things I'd call classic, but there's no bad games yeah. on that list. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I want to see what they are because I, I don't even uh, know what they are. It's Tekken so. 3, Final Fantasy 7, Ridge Racer 4, um, Jumping Flash, and Wild Arms. Okay. So some there are some deep cuts on there yeah. already. That's that's interesting. Yeah. I'm surprised those are the first five that they would announce. Yeah, it's though. a it's I mean, a weird five. Other than Final Fantasy VII, it's it's a weird five to choose. I don't see most people getting excited about those five games. I agree completely. Interesting. Well, I gotta say, I created my list based on like I followed your instructions of picking like what would it be in Sony's best interest to put on this machine to sell mm -hmm. it but I skewed towards games that I actually like yeah, cuz me I mean <laughs> oh, I could sure. say oh put Tomb Raider on it but I I've, I've never played Tomb Raider so you know what I mean like the original right. so I went with games that I've played and know are good Okay yeah Well um should we let our guests go first Sounds great All right all right. I, I don't think you can have this system without Castlevania Symphony of the Night on it. I think that yeah. is a must-have. I agree. Okay, that's one off yeah, of my list. The best game in that series <laughs> yeah, <mine> still. <laughs> it was number one. It was at the top of my list. So awesome. Yeah, I can mark that one off. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sean, you want to go next? Your first pick? Yeah, I'm going to steal another one that everybody's going to say, which is Metal Gear Solid, which is, yeah. you know, pretty much my favorite game. of One, it's in my top five games of all time, and it absolutely has to be on this system. I didn't have that on my list, but I agree with you completely that it, it's a must-have for this. Yeah, when I was making this list, it's funny. I didn't put that one on there, and then I went back and I looked through sort of my collection. I was like, oh my gosh, why did I not have Metal Gear Solid on here? I mean, that's like an essential game for this system. Something I noticed when I was making my list too, and it's already coming out, is Konami was awesome on the PlayStation. There's a lot of good Konami yep. stuff. Yeah, it's true. Very, very true. 
All right. Uh, for my first pick, I'm going to go. I think you got to have a Crash Bandicoot game. I've played a few of them, and two is my favorite of the ones I've played. So I would put Crash Bandicoot two on there. I don't know. Do you guys agree with that pick? As far as have you played through that series? That's cool. I had no idea you were a fan, Rich. Yeah. The Cartridge Club did a playthrough a few years ago, and I joined them for uh, Crash 2. And, um, yeah, I- I'd never played anything in that series before, and I just fell in love with it. It was great. And I, and I kind of feel like, also, he's sort of the PlayStation mascot. They didn't really have totally. a, technically a mascot. And so I think you got to kind of put something on there for that. But, Crabby, you were saying you've played the first one. You prefer that one? I prefer the first one, yeah. I, and I agree. Like, it's when I think playstation like that era growing up there like crash was all over the place yeah. he was on magazines he was on the commercials like he was sony to me like sonic was to sega so yeah i'd love to see him represented on there i don't know if he will because they just did those like remakes and stuff so i, I don't oh, know true. how that works but he should be on there well tough but it's my pick so number totally. two it is all right <laughs> All right, Krabby, going back to you, man. Back to what me. Do you think? I don't care about Final Fantasy VII. I care about Final Fantasy IX. That's the Final Fantasy I uh, want to appear on this console. I agree. I think it should be one of the two games. I mean, they're getting ready to do the Seven remake, so yeah. kind of going back to what you said about Crash, I mean, they're doing the Seven remake, so they're putting Seven on this console, and I think Seven's probably the most beloved. Totally. And it's one of the best-selling games that was on the original system, yeah. and it, it makes sense. A lot of people associate it with the PlayStation. Yeah, but I, I think Nine's just as good, if not better. I, I totally agree with that. It's, yeah, it's my favorite one in the series. Very nice. Sean? Yep, I'm going to go with Resident Evil 2. Nice. Good, yeah. Another one with the remake coming out right away. Like It's crazy how many of these games are showing up again. Yeah, it's true. And it was hard to even think about all the first three Resident Evil games because they all have been remade. Um well, the first one was remade. The, the other two were just ported yeah. to the GameCube. But yeah, put two on there. It's the best one. So I agree with you 100%. All right. My second pick is Parasite Eve. Nice. I think that's oh. just a fantastic game. It's one of my favorite. It's probably in my top five games of all time. And uh, I think it's one that uh, people show a lot of love to. So I uh, think it'd be a great choice for that system. It's just a Konami Square box so far. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's awesome. Uh, is that back to me? Um, yeah, so yeah. I like what they did with the Super Nintendo Minis library better than the NES one, where they had some expensive collectible games on there, too, that are also good. Because this one's a $100 machine, too. So you, you want to get your money's worth. So I was looking through some of the more expensive games, and, and I think if they put something like Valkyrie Profile on there, Oh, it's a stole it. great game, and it, it <laughs> definitely it earlier, gets dude. that collector's value for for people who who want their money's worth buying this kind of thing. Yeah, man, I I freaking love that game. I can't wait to play it again. It's got that style too that that's rich. still really beautiful yeah. to look at. Whereas a lot of stuff from this era, it's, it's a little hard to look at visually. But I think Valkyrie Profile is still a beautiful looking game. It's a great point. All right, showing your next pick that is not Valkyrie Profile. Yeah, I don't have much left because I had Parasite Eve as well. (laughs) You know, I love that game. I adore that game. That was so much fun when we played that for, wow, that was our episode zero, wasn't it? All the way back when. Um, But yeah, I got to go with Silent Hill. Um, Nice. Another Konami. And uh, it's a horror classic that should be on the system. 
All right. I'm going to go with a, another pricey game, you know, another RPG and one that gets a lot of uh, notoriety. I'm going to go with uh, Suicoden 2. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My list is done. <laughs> 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 yeah that that one and it's got that price tag too that makes this much more attractive yeah. bundle i think and if they work out a deal with konami like there's five six games right there that they can slap on it's awesome exactly you know we're just asking you to get two license here and then you're good man exactly. gold um is that back to me then yeah so I, I want a bit of variety in genres too so i was looking at yep. some other games um i i really like weird racing games um and wipeout was a big deal back in the day and it was i was always been a sony kind of franchise so i'd love to see either the first wipeout or wipeout xl on there um i think they would be an awesome addition you gotta pick one man uh let's go xl then wipeout xl <laughs> okay wipeout nice. xl yeah those are very fun sean just come up with something quick well i have <laughs> <blank I'll> just... <laughs> i got more if you need me to fill some spots no i mean so again leaving out the obvious stuff like you gotta have a uh either gran turismo one or two i guess you could put two on there because it's probably a little bit more advanced than yep. the the first one so there's another one i think that one's a shoe in i think they'll have that on it for sure yeah because that's a sony property yeah. right well, so. i did hear there might be some licensing problems because they have to license all oh, these different the car cars. companies yeah right. so that might be an issue yeah. All right. Cool. Well, one genre we haven't talked about yet is fighting games. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite series that actually is on the PlayStation is Darkstalkers. Sweet. So I would go with Darkstalkers 3 as my next pick. That's an awesome choice. All right. Back to you, Krabby. Um, it may surprise you, but there is one open world game that I enjoy from that era. So I would actually like to see GTA 2 on here. I nice. like the old Grand Theft Autos. Once they went 3D, they lost me. Too complicated. So I want those old top-down bird's-eye view Grand Theft Autos represented. All right. What are you thinking, Sean? I'll throw in one of my more personal choices that I don't think would make it onto the thing, but it would be Vandal Hearts. Uh, oh, yeah. That we played earlier this year. That is so damn good. Yeah. So, again, another Konami RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice pick, man. Yeah, it was on my list, too. I thought it might make my list outside of this, so I'm glad you picked that one. All right. Another genre I think needs to be represented is the uh, shmup genre. Oh, yeah. And again, another pricey game, which I think should definitely be on this list, is Einhander. Just nice. saved me a spot. That's awesome. It's on my <laughs> short yeah, list. good. Do I have one left or two left? Oh, you got two left. Two left. All right. Um, I love Tony Hawk. Um, I would love yep. to see pretty much any of them on there, but four is my personal favorite. So if they could put Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 on there somehow, that would uh, please me greatly. I actually had Tony Hawk on my list, and I was going to get you guys to help me choose which is the best. I remember liking two a lot. Two, three, and four, I think, are all acceptable answers. Yeah, so I'm glad you made that pick because I thought, you know, you kind of need some kind of sports game on there too. Totally. So. Tony Hawk Three and four were on the PS1. They were late, but they were there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know they kept making them further than most people would think. I didn't realize four was on there, so that's pretty cool. It was a huge franchise, too, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was so big when we were growing up. That would be another thing, though. With the, There's a lot of licensed music in those games, so yeah. I don't know how that would work. But eh, yeah, this true. is a dream list. So they can figure cares. out Gran Turismo. They can figure out Tony Hawk. Activision right, likes money. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
How about a twisted metal game? What's the best twisted yeah. metal? Two. Number two. Two, yeah, I, I yeah. agree. So there there you go. That's my next oh, one. You saved me from making a hard choice at the end. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. I had twisted metal on my list. I, I think it's a quintessential PlayStation game, you know? I yeah. mean, you think about the PlayStation yeah, growing up playing it. It's the first game I ever played on a PlayStation that got me interested in buying one. Yeah, wow. me too. Nice. I think I played it on a demo disc at one point as well. A friend of mine rented it, and we just couldn't put it down that weekend, rented it the next weekend, and just kept going back to it. Yeah, sort of one of those kind of first like arena fighters, you know, or the cityscapes and stuff too are just so much fun. The and little hidden Easter eggs in it too were amazing. Yeah, and the comedy, yeah. even though it was like kind of a horror game. And I, I kind of heard from other people that they don't really hold up that well now. But man, if you're making a PlayStation um, classic, you got to put a Twisted Metal game I, on the, there. I disagree with the hold up. Uh, like six months ago, I started chatting with my next door neighbor and... We were both into video games, what we started talking about. And so he came over and looked through the game room. And he's like, we need to sit down and play something right now. And he pulled Twisted Metal 2 off the shelf. And we had the best afternoon ever. Um, and it, it was still a ton of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, um, my next pick, I feel like another genre that we've kind of skipped over is sort of the puzzle genre. Yeah. And so... Uh, I've got two on my list, and so I'll have to save one for the deep cut. But I think the one that would sell the best is Super Puzzle Fighter. Nice. Because it, it does have that Street Fighter element to it, and uh, fun game to play, too. It's a great game, yeah. Tons of fun. Nice. Right. Uh, so my, my last one, I'm going to go deep, because my favorite thing about Super Nintendo Mini was it came with Star Fox 2, which you couldn't get anywhere else. So I'm racking my brain. Ooh. What kind of cool PlayStation stuff could they they pull out of nowhere to really entice North American players? So if they pulled an import over that we've never had released here, I think that'd be really cool. So I pulled up a list of them. And I think the most interesting one to me would be if they localized police knots over here. Oh, um, oh wow. Kojima has a lot of uh, history with Sony. And it's another one of those Konami titles. And everyone knows about Snatcher and Death Stranding's coming. So I, I think they could maybe find a way to tie police knots into that kind of stuff and make it a real selling point. Very cool. I just ordered that soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah nice. It just came out. Hasn't gotten here yet, but it, it's supposedly on its way from overseas. I really thought you were going to say LSD Dream Simulator. <laughs> no, I had a few other on my list, and I looked at that one. It just doesn't speak to me like some of these other ones. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of pulling them out of thin air right now, but it just popped into my head that there should be a siphon filter game on this thing. Oh, okay. um, I'm not super well-versed in the series, but I do remember playing them a long time ago, and they're kind of uh, Metal Gear Solid influence, but they're more of action games. You run around with a taser just frying dudes, and it's it's really fun. <laughs> I, I associate so. that one with PlayStation a lot, too. I'd be surprised if the actual release doesn't have that on it as well. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm kind of looking at this list right now, and I'm like, oh, you know, with this last pick, we sort of need a sports game. But uh, Tony Hawk's a sport, <sighs> right? That's skateboarding. Yeah, yeah, and maybe I'll just save it for the end. And Gee, Gran Turismo <laughs> 2 is kind of a sport, too, racing. Yeah, yeah, true. And, I, and I'm kind of thinking, like, we need to have a Tomb Raider game on here as well because it's so essential to the PlayStation, and probably that's the safer pick. But um, I'm going to go something uh, with something, again, that's rare and expensive and go with Klonoa. Wow. I had that on my list, too. I'm glad you pulled it up because I ran out of spots, so. 
that's pretty much (laughs) (laughs) all right so let me real quick before we get into our um you know outside picks let me go with the 21 games that we've selected and uh sony um open your ears here this is what the fans want so uh, (laughs) all right uh symphony of the night metal gear solid crash bandicoot 2 final fantasy 9 resident evil 2 parasite eve Valkyrie Profile, Silent Hill, Suicoden 2, Wipeout XL, Gran Turismo 2, Darkstalkers 3, Grand Theft Auto 2, Vandal Hearts, Einhander, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4, Twisted Metal 2, Super Puzzle Fighter, Police Knots, Siphon Filter, and Klonoa. I'd buy that. That's, that's a an awesome really machine. Good variety. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I was man. afraid we, we were going to overrepresent cool. a couple genres on there, but I think that's a pretty good mix. Yeah, yeah. I was afraid of that, too. I was like, oh, man, we're just going to pick a ton of RPGs. Yeah, I thought we were going to have a ton of RPGs, and we were going to have, like, Tomb Raider, Spyro, Crash, Klonoa, like, all of these 3D platformers, like, too many of those, and this is nice. Yeah, it's a good list. Nice variety. All right, uh, Krabby, do you want to uh, maybe start talking about a few that uh, you were thinking about maybe putting on the list? I won't talk about them too long, um, but I personally, I'd love to see one of the Lunar games on there. Uh, yeah. Mega Man X4 is my favorite uh, of the like PlayStation era and up X games. Um, so I think I can't one. believe you didn't pick a Mega Man game. I thought for sure you would pick one, so I didn't even put one on my it's list. It's when the series the started dropping anyway. for me. I, I love them. Uh, four is really good, but yeah. like five onward, they're kind of trashier. Each one that comes out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Street Fighter Alpha Two. Um, I had that or Darkstalkers. Like with a little like, which one do I pick? And you picked Darkstalkers for me, so that worked out perfect. <laughs> Made the choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Worms Armageddon is one I played a lot of back in the day, um, and it's single controller, but you can play four players with it. Um, mm-hmm. so, like that would work really well. Uh, Ogre Battle, um, I thought it'd be another cool RPG kind of a strategy, hit the strategy uh, game yeah. for people too. And uh, for the two other imports, I was trying to decide between Police Knots and that uh, was Pepsi Man and Initial D. Um, either one of those, <laughs> if they replaced Pe- Police Knots, I'd be super happy. <laughs> Oh, man. I've seen some video of Pepsi, man. That is wacky. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sean. How about you, man? Any games that uh, you would consider putting on this list to add? Yeah, I have two kind of honorable mentions that'll never end up on this machine, but I thought would be really cool. Have you guys ever played Crossroad Crisis? No. Not familiar with that. Uh, it's a really cool puzzle game, and I wanted to play. I haven't played it in a long time. I really wanted to play it again before we went on the air. I just didn't have a chance. But basically, it's like there's this chicken walking around the screen, and you have to arrange tracks underneath him to get him to a certain place. You have to avoid hazards or get to a goal or whatever, and it's kind of like a sliding puzzle with a chicken walking around <laughs> and it's a really cool game. It has multiplayer. Um, it's a lot of fun. And my other kind of dark horse that would never be on, but it would be awesome would be Rhapsody, a musical adventure, a game we played a couple <laughs> months ago for the show. Still one of my all time favorite games. And, uh, I would love to see it on there. Very cool, man. Uh, well for my list, I did mention tomb Raider. So Krabby, I know you've probably played these games, Sean. You said you hadn't played many of them on the PlayStation, but um, which one would you probably pick if you had to pick a Tomb Raider game? I'd go with the first one, honestly. Yeah, okay. I know it's a little clunky and old feeling, but still, you know. It does. It's, it's fun. But you got to remember, too, the controllers they're sending with this thing don't have analog sticks on them, too. So I think the first yeah, one's going to play yeah. the best with what's in the box as well. Okay. Uh, I was talking about a sports game earlier and maybe adding one here. And I think the most fun sports game to add would maybe be NFL Blitz, 
because that was such a great yeah. arcade game, and it's a lot of fun. Even if you don't like football or sports games, I think it's uh, just a really cool and fun game to play. A personal pick for me, and everyone knows this is probably my favorite game on the PlayStation, is Medieval. I, I love that series 1 and 2, but uh, I would put the first one on there. I think it's a fantastic game. We mentioned Final Fantasy VII. That made my list. Uh, another sports game, Hot Shots Golf. That's where the nice, series yeah. started. was on the original PlayStation, so maybe one of those games. I had to pick between Puzzle Fighter and another puzzle game, but I really like Intelligent Cube, if yeah. you guys have played that That's before. A cool game. Uh, another classic series is the Jet Moto series. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I've heard some things about that not really holding up either, but uh, man, I played the crap out of Jet Moto when I was younger. I played it as much as I did Twisted Metal. Maybe a Tekken game. Tekken 2 was one that I played quite a bit of. Omega Boost is a fantastic game for the PlayStation. And one of my all-time favorites is Parappa the Rapper yeah. uh, on PlayStation. And I think that should definitely be in one of the 20 games they put on there. It's so iconic. I'd be us. pretty surprised if Parappa and um, the other one you just mentioned, I'm blanking on for some reason. Oh, Medieval. If those two don't show up uh, on the actual one. Hmm. Really? Medieval? You think so? Well, so I think Sony owns that one, so I think it's easy licensing for them. Uh, it's like Nintendo okay. putting you know, Mario Bros. on the Nintendo Classic. Yeah, that's true. Less yeah, work, less licensing fees. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, I'm, I'm really pumped about that list, and I really want to hear what our listeners think about this uh, list of 21 games that we picked, and uh, let us know what we left off. Left off so much. There's so many games in that system. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great system. It's one of my favorite to collect for. Yeah. So. It's a lot of fun to collect for, totally. All right, so let's move into pickups. Kelsey, you're a veteran at this. As a matter of fact, you all used to do this on the Collector Cast. And as you know, we continue the tradition, but only for ourselves. Our segment. (laughs) (laughs) But we only do it for ourselves. We don't dare go on the small scores thread and talk about other people's stuff. Um, But anyway, what what have you picked up in the last while? I actually get to pick up games again. They don't just come to me in the store now. I have to like work for them. It's weird. (laughs) Um, So I went back to the old store and they had the two um, Shantae limited run games still sealed there. That another mm. RF Gen member actually traded in for for another bigger game, so I ended up picking up uh, both of the Shantae games there. I was pretty happy with because I missed out on the limited run uh, shot when they when they sold them. Uh, a friend of mine saving up for a computer, so he's sold, selling a bunch of his collection, and he had a bunch of NES just boxes and manuals he wanted to get rid of and keep the games, which works for me. So I picked up a, a big lot from him, but the kind of more notable ones that I needed were uh, he had Double Dragon, Iron Sword, Metal Gear, Total Recall, the Moffat Conspiracy, and the biggest one was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street he had, which is pretty pricey oh, box wow. on that yeah. one. Yes, it is. Um, I picked up another just little lot of like some Wii and 360 games that I had on my wish list. Um, most of them not too notable. My favorite two out of those were Blastworks for the Wii and Persona 4 Arena Ultimax for the 360. Um, and then my wife surprised me with a copy of Spider-Man for the PS4, which I'm pretty pumped to, uh, to dig into. I haven't opened it yet because we're refinishing our basement and I'm kind of waiting till that's done. And it's going to be the first game I, I play down there to, to christen it. Very cool. I guess I'll go next because Rich has some kind of note here that I have a feeling he's going to take a long time. And mine, it's pretty short. 
I actually got another one of those N64 controllers that I kickstarted, but it's not because I bought it. It turns out the first round of controllers they shipped had a minor defect where the L trigger, no, the L shoulder button, not the trigger, would kind of move if you put the thumbstick to like an eight o'clock position, like an upper left position. Um, that wouldn't be eight o'clock, right? That would be more like 10, 10 o'clock. Um, so it would like push up on the L bumper, but not enough to break the connection. So if you're holding them both, it would just kind of wiggle, but uh, it would be fine to be quite honest with you. But they were offering either a replacement part or a replacement controller. So, I mean, I said, hell, I'll take another controller. So now I have two of them. And uh, so I kickstarted that thing for 20 bucks and now I have two that of them. That controller looks amazing. Is it as good as it, it seems? I mean, it's pretty cool. The problem with it is I never play the N64. <laughs> I <almost laughs> never have any desire to. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've screwed around with it. It's, it's very similar in style to an Xbox 360 right. controller. So it's ergonomically familiar if you play a lot of modern games versus that god-awful original N64 controller. Ugh. So, yeah, I mean, I would recommend getting one if you play a lot of 64. I don't play a ton. That's that's the only reason I haven't got one yet. But when I go back to like Mario 64 every once in a while, um, I, I'm really thinking about picking something like that up for it because it, it looks amazing. Yeah. I have one other score, but it's also my what are you playing? So I'm going to save it for that segment and I'll kick it over to Rich. Well, I want to start off with just a quick apology to my buddy Retro Nonsense. Last month, I mentioned a lot of the pickups I had, and I had gotten, like, good friends that had picked up things for me, and I had left him off, and after I finished editing the show, I sent him a message like, look, man, I meant to thank you for something you sent me in the show. It was even before I put the show out, or I had just put it out that day, and I was like, I just need to let you know I forgot, and I looked at my notes, and his name was on there. It's just, you get to talking, and you just kind of just miss it, and... Uh, he picked up a copy of Stellar Track for the Atari 2600 for me. The reason this one's so significant is that this is the Sears pick version. So it has a um, a picture on it. It was only released by Sears and not for Atari as a part of their telegames Classic package. Classic Canadian company that is now going out of business fast. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, people say, can I find anything for you? And I'm like, well, if they have these sort of variants, you know, you can look at these very common games. And some of these variants with these picture labels on them are like really, really high priced items. But most people don't know that. They'll just look up the name of the game. And for what mostly they see on eBay, it's just going to be the, you know, typical price you would pay for, uh, you know, the text version of this game. So he was able to find this for me when he was out of town and he sent it to me, actually free of charge, which was really, really nice of him. He has been really excited about the 2600 lately, and I've been helping him with his collection, and a lot of times I'll send him a package, and I'll just throw in a few extra games sometimes, and he's just really appreciative of me helping him out, just wants to show his appreciation to me, and uh, just want to let him know that I really, really appreciate that, and uh, I've been doing a lot of very collecting for the 2600, and I was really stoked to get that game. It's beautiful. I love the artwork on those cartridges, and any time that I can get something that um, is not commonly found that people haven't really seen before it really really stands out in my collection so again a thanks and uh 
my apologies for not mentioning it in the last show. Um, but as far as my other pickups are concerned, I picked up a copy of Parody World Monster Party. This is a game that I got from Fan Brew Games, who's on Etsy. Next month, our October game of the month is Monster Party. But what a lot of people don't know is this game was never released on the Famicom. However, they actually made a game, and there was a prototype that someone found several years ago. This prototype was never released on the Famicom because it has a lot of licensed material on it. There's stuff from Planet of the Apes, Little Shop of Horrors, Alien, The Thing, and all these sort of like horror and sci-fi movies that we're so familiar with in North America. It was never released, but the ROM has been dumped, and so people are making these carts. And uh, I was actually able to pick one up. And I, I think I told Sean, I was like, man, this looks so cool. If I can ever find it on a cartridge, I'll definitely pick one up. And uh, lo and behold, like five, ten minutes later, I find it like right on Etsy as I type in Parody World. And uh, so I'm excited about not only playing the NES game next month, but also playing the much tougher version of Monster Party called Parody World. Hopefully I can knock that one out as well. My buddy Cameron, who actually does the music for our show, we've talked about several times. He was selling some games, and he asked me if I needed them. And two that he sent me a picture of were Mystic Ninja for the Super Nintendo. Nice. That's a good pickup. Yeah, I think it's like kind of like a Goemon game, isn't it, Krabby? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, also Death and Return of Superman. Oh, I love that. Which uh, is a beat-em-up and, uh, you know, kind of a neat game. I definitely collect all the beat-em-ups I can for the uh, Super Nintendo, except for Bebe's Kids. I will not get that <laughs> game because it's awful. Death and Return of Superman I beat for the first time last year. And I played it a ton when I was a kid, and I couldn't figure out why it was so hard. And I never realized you could throw the enemies into the background, and they would, like, toss out power-ups at you. Oh, wow. It it never dawned on me when I was a kid, and and I finally figured that out as an adult, and it got a lot easier. It's still a hard game, but much much more doable. Very cool, man. I'm definitely going to play that and check it out. What's cool about this cartridge, too, is that the screws that are on the front of it, they look like they've been filled in with, uh, like, hot glue, like from a hot glue gun. And I think this game was probably a rental at one time, and they put that stuff over the screws for that reason. So I didn't remove it. I think it's kind of a neat little piece of history, and, uh, you know, it's really cool, you know, it came along like that. And then the last thing I picked up was a copy of Dead Cells on PS4. This is a game, one of our members, I believe it's Neo Magic Warrior, he does an article for our front page every month, and several months ago he started doing a video. He'll do, you know, maybe like anywhere from 10 to 15 minute video of him playing the game and just kind of talking about it. Neo is a member along with Bill from the Collector Cast. They do our Twitch channel over at RF Generation so I want to plug them really quick. Uh, You should definitely sign up for our Twitch channel and watch that. Some good gamers from RF Generation are on there. But uh, Neo mentioned this game Dead Sales and it's getting quite the buzz from a lot of people as Game of the Year. And so I picked up a copy on PS4. Haven't gotten to play it yet but uh, really excited to sort of dig into that game kind of like a roguelike but has some like qualities of castlevania and so uh you know a lot of people are saying it's a really really good game that's it it's on my wish list let's move on to the uh what are you playing segment yeah we'll just start with our guest again kelsey besides telltale's batman season one what have you been playing i mentioned briefly earlier i'd I'd signed up for the the Switch online service. So I've been playing a bunch of old NES games off there, Ghosts and Goblins, Double Dragon, River City Ransom, stuff like that. 
Uh, I've been really into this uh, twin stick shooter called Next Machina lately. So I've been playing that every day or two, getting a little bit further, a little better score. Oh, so fun. I think you'd love it. Yeah. Um, Bill from the Collector Cast has been bugging me to play Divinity Original Sin for a long time, and I finally started it. Not really digging it, but but I gave it a good shot. Uh, I finished Pirates of Darkwater on the Genesis and X-Men 1 and 2 on the Genesis recently, which were uh, some childhood games I was never able to finish. Finally crossed them off my list. Yeah, Darkwater's a pretty cool beat-em-up. Uh, and I love that cartoon as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I never watched the cartoon. I remember seeing uh, commercials for it, but uh, just never never got into it. I'm not a big pirates guy. Anything with a pirate theme to it usually <laughs> turns me off. I remember that about you for yeah. some reason. I've got another friend that's like that, too. Hates anything about boats. Will not watch movies at sea. <laughs> yeah, I guess I kind of do, too. I typically avoid those kind of <laughs> movies and TV shows. Except for Jaws. Jaws is acceptable. All right. Uh, with a buddy, I've started uh, Shimigami Tensei Devil Summoner for the PS2, um, and we've been plugging away at that every Saturday. We try and do an episode in it, and it's uh, it's really fun. And like most Shimigami games, it's pretty cryptic and obscure, so it's really nice having a second brain watching the screen with me because there's a lot of things one of us will figure out and the other one misses, or, or we have to try and remember some Japanese names that are not too common. So sometimes we confuse them with other names and it's nice having another person playing that type of game with me. Cause, cause often I'll, I'll get pretty stuck and running around mindlessly for a while and those kind of things. Um, and then as always just playing a little bit of Mega Man, the same buddy picked up the legacy collection recently. So I've been going through all the challenges with them. I'm trying to gold medal, everything, uh, passing the controller back and forth after each attempt. It's pretty fun. Very cool. So my, what are you playing? Has a little bit of a story. My wife and I have been kind of carpooling for a long time. Even we used to live on the very northern outskirts of Austin and had to commute all the way south, which is in the legendary traffic of Austin is a very, very bad idea. So we were carpooling to kind of mitigate that, but it was still an hour to an hour and a half to drive literally 15 miles. So we moved down south here we live in the southern part of the city now much closer to both of our places of business so i talked to my wife earlier this year about making it a goal to become a one car household and just carpool 100% of the time so we got rid of my wife's 2004 Saturn Ion which was really hard for me because I love that car and uh, it was the car she was driving when I met her and it's the car that she taught me to drive a manual on and uh, it's also the car that drove her and both of the cats all the way here from New Jersey so that car was very special to me not so much to her for some reason she didn't care but (laughs) (laughs) but uh it's it's time was up so we donated it and for a while we didn't have a car and she was okay with it but she said you know i really think we might need another car there was sometimes she would want to work late and felt bad about making me sit and wait for which i didn't mind but i understand you don't want to do that so I said, look, I don't want to go out and buy a car, but if one falls in our lap and we'll grab it up, you know, that tends to happen a lot of the time. So lo and behold, I had a coworker who recently had a child and he was driving a 2008 Honda Civic and he needed to buy a sedan because he's a family man now. So 
shout out to Manny, my coworker, because he said, yeah, and he didn't even know I was potentially looking for a car. He's just, we were just shooting the bull one day and he said, yeah, I'm thinking about selling my Civic. And I just said, how much do you want for it? And he, he gave me a, an amount that he was looking for. And I said, I'll take it. And, he, you know, he was like, oh, okay. So come to find out, it's a 2008 Honda Civic SI, which uh, SI is kind of like the race car version of a Honda Civic. And I'm not really a sports car person, but it is very, it's a fun car to drive. So I did score a car, but that's not my score. My score is... I just for fun on a whim, I googled 2008 Honda Civic SI video game because I know a lot of these sports cars, even the like entry level ones like this, end up in games. So lo and behold, there's a game called Need for Speed Shift that has my exact car in it. (laughs) So I had to grab it and I was, you know, thankfully I was able to get it for the PS3 literally for $4 for just the loose disc. And I started playing it and I thought all I'm going to do is just buy my car and look around at it and then I'll be done with the game. (laughs) But as it turns out, this game is more sophisticated, for lack of a better word, than most of the Need for Speed games that I've played. And uh, I did write about this on the front page blog that it's not like the Need for Speed games that I've played where you're running away from the cops or you're trying to chase gang members or whatever. Like it's actually more like a Forza game or like a Gran Turismo game. You're racing on professional tracks and, you know, going around the world just trying to make a name for yourself kind of thing. Uh, so that is, you know, my last score, my, my, what are you playing? And it's just, it's kind of cool because I've had cars similar enough to other cars that are in games where it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. But this game has, it literally is like a perfect replica. Like they really do a good job of, um, replicating the exterior, the interior, the dash panel, everything is like down to the perfect detail. And you could look around in first person mode, you can use the right thumbstick to kind of look around and they got everything. The door handles are perfect. The little, the, you know, the speakers and the door panel and the, the gear shift and the e-brake, like everything is just perfect. It's so cool. And it's so trippy just driving around because I use this car to commute in real life, but to just drive it like a maniac in a video game <laughs> is a lot of fun. So this is what I would really like to do in this car. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm still playing it. I'm playing it way more than I ever thought I would because it has like a scoring system where you each race that you go through, you get stars for things that you do. If you pass someone cleanly, you get a star. And so, you know, a lot of them are just like five stars. So I want to like five out of five every track. So it has kind of a an addictive gameplay loop in that way. So really cool game. Awesome, man. Yeah. So, Rich, what have you been playing? So in honor of this Batman the Telltale series playthrough, I was in my game room with my kid, just trying to find some games to play. My kids usually really love playing NES games because, you know, just two button, just kind of easy, simple for them. And so I pulled out Batman for the NES and played uh, some of that. I'm sure this is a game that you both probably played quite a bit when you were younger and, and probably loved as much as I do. 
I was really terrible at it when I was younger, and uh, I'm much better at it now, but there are still some very, very difficult areas on that game, but uh, I really love like the uh, the wall grab, jumping mechanics, and sometimes how you have to kind of fall down and then grab onto something and go across because there might be something on the ceiling that can harm you. It's just a really well-made and thought-out game. And then... um the other game that I've been playing is Jurassic Park Operation Genesis for the PS2. If you guys are fans of like sim games like SimCity and these kind of uh, building games, I know I used to play a lot of Zoo Tycoon, and this is really what it reminds me of, but with dinosaurs and, you know, a lot of imminent danger. <laughs> I was really, really into this game and I was building my park and I think I started building it too fast and so I wasn't putting up any security systems and stuff like that, so... In the middle of playing it last week, a uh, tornado came through on my island and ripped open a lot of the fences and the dinosaurs got out and started eating like all the people there. <laughs> and so <laughs> my my account got into like negative $42,000 or something. And there's just no way I'm going to be able to dig myself out of it. <laughs> so I'm going to have to start the game completely over and, uh, you know, kind of move slower and, you know, do more research and stuff. But it's a lot of fun. It's a great, great game. I was always obsessed with dinosaurs as a kid. So it's like kind of a dream come true to like do like a theme park and, uh, you know, have all these cool dinosaurs in it. I know Pam has a video up on YouTube for it. And I think it's a game she really enjoyed. So it's a little bit of a pricier game, but it's definitely one I would say is worth your while for the PS2 to pick up. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you grabbed me a copy of that about a year ago. Didn't I did. You? Yeah, that was You're you. right. I yeah. certainly did. I yeah. still haven't played it yet, but I've always been very interested. It seems fantastic. That's great, man. And your kid would love it too. My kids love it. It's really cool because like, you know, you have to put herbivores all together and then your carnivores have to be all together, of course, or, or they'll eat each other. But you also get more points for keeping animals within the same period, you know, like okay. the Cretaceous or Jurassic period, like right. to keep it as authentic as possible. So it's really neat. Um, but I would say, you know, if you play it, just take it like really, really slow. Don't try to just go all out and build all this. Well, that's no fun. Then I don't get to see dinosaurs eat people. That's true. <laughs> you can bulldoze your fence for a minute and put up your machine okay. gun turrets and stuff if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> and then last month I mentioned I was playing Axiom Verge and I actually finished it this month. Fantastic game. I spoke about last month, so I'll keep it brief. But if you love, um, you know, Metroid games and Metroidvania type style games, it's a must pick up. Such a fantastic game. And as I mentioned last month, created by one person just blows your mind that someone could do something like this. So, uh, yeah, definitely a must have. And then another game that our old buddy Neo has done an article on the site about is Nuclear Throne. Now, this is a download-only game right now. I got it for PS4 and Vita because, you know, once you download it for that one price, you can put it on your Vita and your PS4. And so I've done it both, played it on both systems. This is a uh, little twin-stick shooter, very simple, kind of 8 bit graphic game. Now, I say simple, and I mean simple kind of in concept and in look because it's hard as crap. I, I can't get very far on it. Right now, I'm like super frustrated with it, but for some reason, I keep going back to it. And it's also a game you can play co-op, too. And it's just a really neat concept. 
Neo shows a lot of love for it in his video, but the one thing I can say, I don't think the aiming is quite as good as I would like it to be, and, you know, maybe it's something I get to get a little more used to, but uh, I've played other type twin-stick shooters, and, yeah, I think it could do with a little bit of improving. You need to play some Next Machina to, to wipe your slate of that. I know, but it's limited runs yeah. only, physical release, and uh, I've looked for copies, and I think it's uh, this is a little bit up there, isn't it? It's a little bit pricey right now. I don't know. I haven't checked since. I, I was lucky to get it in the first run, so I don't know. Yeah, I might see if my local store, they have several limited run games in stock, keep kind of a healthy list of them, and I may see if I can find it there, and if not, it might be one I put on my Christmas list, you know be hard to screw that up. It's not cliffhanger for the NES. So. <laughs> They'll get you a digital download voucher for it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. So as we've been doing, we start with a community question. And Rich, I got to tell you, this was a good one. Yeah, we got yeah. by far our most responses so far. And I have... That makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to apologize in advance if I miss anybody because Twitter is just kind of sucks. I think what I'm going to have to do in the future is start screenshotting or otherwise recording every response we get because I look in the notifications and certain things I know should be there are not there. So I will get better at this in the future. But for now, I'm just going to go with what I have. And our question was, who is your favorite Batman villain and why? Some people didn't answer the why. Some people did, but that's fine. We don't care too much. So let's just go through our Twitter responses here. So Josh Leslie at Frantic Society, he says, Mr. Freeze, animated series version. He's a tragic character you really feel for. Heart of Ice is a brilliantly written episode in particular. Yes, it is. Yeah, I remember that one. one. Um, yeah. Rich, are you into the animated series? Oh, yeah. I used to watch it okay, all the yeah. time. It yeah. was on TV It's really, lot, really good. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of like in an era when I was past watching cartoons. I was older. But at the same time, it was so compelling and so good, you just couldn't turn away from it. And uh, yeah, my kids actually watch it. I've, I've shown it to them, and they like it for the most part, though some of the situations can be a little more adult at times. It's I pretty think, dark, and yeah. Kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. It's a little dark. You're right. Very true. So Stanley Winston, Hackysack Third Esquire, better known as Metal Fro, friend of the show, former guest, and host of the... Better known as the Game Boy Guru, <laughs> Game Boy better Guru, known as Josh. Right, host of the uh, Shoot the Core podcast. 
Um, he says, always the Joker. There are so many interesting interpretations of the character, from zany to dark or from petty thief to anarchist. There's so much you can do with a character like that. Uh, and Steven Eider agrees with him. He says, the Joker. He fights the 1% every chance he gets and plays by his own rules. Very true. Our good friend Anthony, uh, that's at Isret101, our resident Mortal Kombat authority, he says Clayface. It is actually a tough pick, but he would. We we hang out with Anthony I, at I, Retro I World Expo. He's such an awesome dude, but he is such a character. Love Anthony. He's the uh, RF Generation wielder of the band hammer. Yep. <laughs> uh, this is official title. So, yeah, great answer. Yeah, he says it's actually a tough pick, but he seems to be forgotten compared to some of the other greats. And that's what I like about this. So Even so far, I haven't even, I'm not even halfway through, and we've got a lot of variety here. So that's pretty awesome. Our good friend Kevin at Buried on Mars says Egghead because he is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that was my guess for uh, Rich's favorite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Vincent Price, man. His portrayal of Egghead in the um, Adam West series is, uh, yeah, so great. But it's not my pick. Yeah. Michael Rancourt said, I like Raza Ghoul the best. He is cunning and deadly, not to mention that he is basically immortal due to the Lazarus pits. And he is the head of a huge assassin guild that has ninjas. Very good choice. <laughs> Very All true. good points, yep. Sneaky matchups at S matchups. This is pretty cool, Rich. <laughs> a lot of people that I don't recognize are answering our question. This is really awesome. He says, Jim Carrey Riddler, easily. Best cackle <laughs> by far. <laughs> <laughs> Someone right. had to top Clayface. <laughs> <laughs> well, this might be the the weirdest one of all. The next one at Magically Lazy Bex just put a picture of a comic book page that has uh, something called Kite Man. Uh, oh, old school. Yeah, you probably know more about this than I do. I wasn't even familiar with... Uh, no, nobody knows about Kite uh, Man. He's, <laughs> he's long forgotten. That's a deep ball. Nice. And we have your good friend and ours, Kelsey. Chris at Collector Cast says, riddle me this. Who could be the better villain to Batman than the Riddler? Very good choice. <laughs> I thought Chris was going to say Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we had one more. The aforementioned Pocky X. He just put a picture of the Scarecrow. So Pocky X calls the Scarecrow, and I am sorry, I could have sworn that I had two retweet answers on this. I'm pretty sure, actually, that it was Kevin. Let me uh, go to his site. Sorry about this. Nope, it wasn't him. So somebody retweeted an answer, and I can't find it. So my apologies to whoever that person was. We really want to get everybody's responses on the air. That's why we do this. So, again, I feel bad about that, and I will come up with a better way to log these answers going forward. But now let's go to the panel here. Kelsey, who is your favorite Batman villain and why? All right, Kelsey, I don't mean to interrupt. Uh -oh. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say this, and I wanted to talk about this first before we get into our picks, but the reason for this question is 
people that I talk to about like comic books and stuff, we always talk about what character has the best villains. And I think hands down, most people agree that Batman by far has the best set of villains. Probably second for me to like Spider-Man. Yeah, I was going to say for Rogue's Galleries, it's usually Batman and Spider-Man have the most recognizable casts. Yeah, and I think for me, like, kind of what puts Batman, like, over the edge is the, like, psychological profiles of these mm-hmm. villains, you know. It's so intense. It's, it's a little darker than, you know, let's say um, Superman villains or Spider-Man villains. And so I think that whole psychological aspect is what, you know, really, really draws me to not only Batman villains, but Batman himself, you know. These kind of inward struggles with his, you know, parents' death and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, this would be... On the face, kind of a simple question, but at the same time, you know, out of curiosity, I think it's such a, like you said, Kelsey, a rogues gallery of villains that it's kind of difficult to, like, pick one. Yeah, Joker's obviously the most iconic one, but sure, especially with with uh, how the movies have been going too. There's more that are coming out. Like people know who Rachel Ghoul is now, who like no one would have mm-hmm. known like before the Nolan movies. And, and like uh, Mike said, uh, that was his favorite. And, and all the points he said are fantastic points. Rache is an amazing villain on par with the Joker. I'd say um, he's just not as well known. Batman's got a lot of deep pulls like that, that are, that are, uh, well, I guess Rache isn't a deep pull. So he's got, he's got a lot of villains that can carry stories. Whereas uh, a lot of Spider-Man guys, you know, he, he beats them up and, and you don't see him for 10 years. Whereas Batman guys, you can see three, four, five stories with Two-Face that are all interesting. Three, four, five stories with Mr. Freeze that are all interesting. Yeah. They really need to fix Arkham Asylum. I mean, people are just getting out of there like too quickly. Oh, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Things a mess. (laughs) All right. Well, sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to, you know, kind of make that point and why that was sort of the question I picked this month actually glad you said that one of the points you said there about it being psychological is one of the reasons my favorite villain is hush uh because he oh, okay. is one of the batman villains who is not insane he he's very put together um even though he does some pretty crazy drastic things um he he grew up with bruce he knows him intimately more than most villains do he's one of the few who discovers his identity at some point um he's gone on like a basically a similar path to Bruce has where he's disappeared and trained and, and kind of perfected his body and his mind um, just to do different things than, than Bruce obviously does. Uh, he just wants that revenge on him and he goes about it in cool ways where he's manipulating other villains in the Batman cast to, to take advantage of them and, and to not just break down Batman, but to break down Bruce Wayne as well to get the revenge that he wants on, on Bruce and his family. Uh, I always found him really interesting. He's not that old of a villain, so he hasn't really been worn out yet either. Because um, like I, I love the Joker. He's got a lot of my favorite stories. Um, you just you see so much of him. It's nice to have a little break with some other villains. Um, and Hush has really been doing it for me for the last few years. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to have to check it out. I've got the uh, graphic novels of Hush, but I have not opened those up yet and, and read those. Yeah, if you've got the Jim Lee illustrated Hush novels, uh, that's some of my favorite Batman art, too. Like, Killer Croc looks like he's never looked before in those books, and he's unbelievable. He's just amazing. And, and there's a cool Clayface point in there, too, for, uh, for <laughs> Tony <laughs> to check out. Awesome. 
Yeah, I tweeted out that I had checked out a bunch of uh, Batman graphic novels out of the library, and I've read two of them, and but I haven't read Hush yet. That was one of the ones I checked out, so it's actually the next one I'm going to read. I very well could have started reading it today, but I didn't. If you guys both do check it out, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. It's one of my favorite Batman stories. Well, by, like, Rich, by, by far. Let's both read it, and we'll follow up next month. Yeah, that sounds good, man. We should definitely do that. All right, I guess I'll go next. So my answer is not the Joker. I would honestly say that that would be my favorite and the best, but other people have said that. And like you said, Kelsey, he's just so iconic. That's like kind of the automatic answer. Yeah. And, and he kind of is the best, like, he, yeah, because he's got more stories than anybody else and, and more good stories than anybody else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with Catwoman and I... Nice. Will say I because he loves cats and I, women. I mean, it's obvious. Well, right? dude, that's that's kind of my point. I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> I do love cats. I do love women, and uh, I think Catwoman is a, is a good female counterpart to Batman. And also, I grew up watching the '60s show, and Julie Newmar is just such a Oh, I mean, what a yeah, knockout, man. I mean, <laughs> damn. Um, Eartha Kitt was a good cat woman, she was too. Good there too. were three different cat women yeah. on that show, yeah. But Julie Newmar was a knockout, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, being exposed to that kind of sensuality and sexuality as, as a younger person, I remember... The comics in the 90s when I was a teenager, they basically just drew a naked woman and painted her purple. Like that was the Catwoman <laughs> costume back then. Her original costume was like a dress almost with like a weird green cape on it. And then and then they went to the like skin tight stuff shortly after that. But yeah. she, she was really flowing at first. And of course, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer did an awesome job. That costuming was amazing back then. She was, again, a, a knockout in that version of it. And then I didn't like uh, the third Nolan movie, but I, I'm a huge Anne Hathaway fan. So I was really excited when she played that. But um, That part where she's in the bar at the start and she's like screaming for help. And then all of a sudden she's just like in control like that blows my mind that's my like one of my favorite catwoman moments in any medium it's so cool nice that movie has got a lot of problems but i enjoy it yeah i've actually i think i've only seen it once and uh it's funny i think the fandango guys were talking about it too recently and they were just saying oh i've only seen it once i don't remember if it's good or not now i'm hearing it's not good <laughs> oh no it wasn't fandango it was a it was a different movie podcast that i was listening to they were talking about it but yeah so mine's catwoman I love Catwoman, too, and I love the idea of not only the villain, but the villain that has, like, an upside to them in in her interactions with Bruce and that sort of, uh, you know, love affair. Like, he really likes her, but she's still a villain, so does he capture her? The conflictedness of that relationship, I think, really works very well for that character, and for that reason, yeah, she's a great villain. There's a really cool... A uh, recent book too, where uh, Bruce and Selena go on a date with Clark and Lois, and, and it's just the whole book is just them at an amusement park on a double date, and it is unreal. It's so <laughs> funny, and there's all these amazing moments. It's so good. I gotta say, my favorite female Batman villain might be Poison Ivy. I don't know what it is about her. That's fair. <laughs> I know what it is about her. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> uh, all right, so uh, my pick. 
you know, with all the movies, I just don't think they've done a good job with this villain. And this villain has never been like the main focus of any of the movies and just kind of, I don't know, it feels like sort of a castaway, but it's such a great villain. I got to agree with Pocky X, man. Uh, Scarecrow is my favorite Batman villain. I don't know what it is. I think growing up watching those Justice League cartoons. You're a big horror movie guy, too. Yeah, so that, that's true. So that fits into what I know about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. The Fear Gas. And uh, like I said, I grew up watching those Justice League animated shows. And Scarecrow really was good, on that. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it kind of odd that he was such a a side character. And it seemed like there was a villain for every Justice League character. You know, like Superman had Lex Luthor. Green Lantern had Sinestro and sort of Batman's counterpart was actually Scarecrow, which was kind of strange as far as the, you know, rogues gallery of Batman villains that they would pick him. And so I don't know, there's something about it. Just the costume is frightening. It's great. Like you said, I think there is something in there about my love of horror films. You played Arkham Asylum. No, I haven't. No. No. Oh, if you like the Scarecrow. Yeah, you go into that game, you're gonna see some of the best scarecrow you've oh, ever seen in any medium. I gotta play like it's, it now. He gets a really cool role in that game. Yeah, I always feel like they do him such a disservice. He did pop up on Gotham, and uh, it was good. It was like really, really getting good, and they just kind of dropped his character arc. There's a part in the game we're about to discuss where they pull some some scarecrow lore and add it into another character. So I'll get into that a little later. But um, he's got some cool some cool story arc that you might not have known was scarecrow related in the game. Oh, very nice, man! I can't wait to hear about that. So let's get into the participants, and we'll start talking about our game this month, which is Telltale's Batman Season One. So it was uh, you, Rich, me, and Kelsey, who's on the show, thank God, because if we had to read any of his posts on the forum, I <laughs> I would not want to do that. I'll try and abbreviate. <laughs> I was private text from him that he was like, uh, yeah, I just released another text wall <laughs> about the game. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and we also had... I think a few people signed up who just haven't gotten around to either playing the game or posting on the forum, which would be Dougley007, Bickman2K, and Zofar53. And I don't mean to call people out. I don't care. This isn't homework. There's no requirements here. So Unless you're us, are, then it is homework. <laughs> no, for us it is. But I mean, to, to, to the rest of y'all, I hope you're enjoying the game and, and give it a shot when you get around to it. But for now... The three people on this call are the three people who posted on the forum. So we're all here. Speaking of homework, I have five pages of notes in front of me. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, well, I couldn't stop writing things down. <laughs> Good grief. You know what I did? I took pictures of all my uh, my results screens so I know my, uh, oh, my that's decisions smart. that I made. That's so smart. I should have done that. Damn. <laughs> So let's just get into the a little bit of the release data. So this was released in 2016 originally by Telltale Games. They developed and published the game. It's an episodic adventure, five episodes. And as is usual with their games, they release it one episode at a time. So a lot of people like me and probably the other people on this call want to wait until they're all released because you want to make sure they all get released. And we'll talk about that in a second. (laughs) (laughs) And as with most Telltale games, they're released on a total plethora of 
platforms. It was on Windows, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, iOS, Android, and the Nintendo Switch. I played it on the PS4. I'm just curious, what, what did y'all play it on? I played on PS4. PS4 for me yeah. as well. Okay, so we all played on PS4. So any technical issues that we end up talking about, um, all of us played it on the PS4. So... Yeah, we should talk about Telltale briefly. Uh, unfortunately, as we were playing our game, it, it was really just a couple of days ago, they announced that they basically laid off their entire development staff, over 200 people. Um, they were looking for money from outside investors. We don't have to get too deep into the details, but as of now, the company still exists, but it is in fact that is unfunded and they're looking for some kind of backing to keep the company going. But in the meantime, they're being sued by their former employees for back pay. And cool. yeah, it's it's just getting really ugly. So mess. yeah, it's a mess. It's not going well for anybody and it's probably just going to get worse as everything unfolds. So it's just kind of sad. And um Again, I did tweet out, not that it, <laughs> it's stupid to say that. I tweeted it out, so it matters. But I mean, I just really hope that the, um, you know, these people land on their feet and get the help they need from their families and communities and just get out there and are able to join the workforce again. So, yeah, best, uh, best wishes to all those people that got laid off. And uh, I would doubt that Telltale will continue to exist into the future so it's a shame the only upside i can think of is there's all these talented artists and writers hopefully uh that'll like i know the tweet they put out was really in poor taste but i I agree with it like i hope these people go out to other companies and you get these amazing art styles and these amazing stories a little more spread out now it's not all just coming from one source yeah and we've seen that happen before um like when irrational games broke up some of the teams went on to make other cool games so maybe we'll see some x telltale employees make their own company now and and fix some of the issues with engines and and problems that we had with these kind of games going forward is is the hope i guess absolutely so let's get into a a little bit of our histories with telltale and it's kind of funny i mean all this happening now because we've mentioned it a few times rich and i we really love narrative adventures we've played many on this show over the years we played a lot of the quantic dream games we played oxen free which was actually developed by former employees of telltale and uh life is strange that's the other one i was trying to think of so, Kelsey, what Telltale games have you played before, if any, have you played before this one? I played the first two seasons of The Walking Dead. Okay. Um, and I've seen the first episode of uh, The Wolf Among Us played uh, by a friend. Cool. And my son has played through Minecraft Story Mode, and, and I've come in and out of that kind of watching as he played. Very cool. Rich, what about you? Yeah, um, the only one that I've actually played all the way through would be Wolf Among Us. That was my introduction to Telltale Games. I don't remember why I picked it up or who recommended it, but uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, I understand they're supposed to do a Wolf Among Us 2 pretty soon. Haha, I guess that's not coming out now, but yeah, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's a shame. But uh, I played a little bit of the first Walking Dead series. I played a few hours into that. Didn't really grab me. I'm not a big fan of the show. 
So um, it didn't do a lot for me, so I never ended up finishing that. But uh, but yeah, other than Batman, that's it. I'm sorry, did you say you were playing the first season of The Walking Dead, the original one? Uh, yes. And you couldn't get into it? Yeah, I just wasn't really into it. Oh, that's very interesting. That's like their preview. Yeah, that's yeah, like, like their uh, masterpiece. That one everyone gets into. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not into the show. I guess I'm just um, kind of zombied out. Have you ever read the books? No. Uh, no. I've read all the books. I I haven't really watched a whole lot of the show after the first couple of seasons. Um, but I, I liked the, yeah, the first season of The Walking Dead, but I thought it was phenomenal. Second one didn't grasp me quite yeah, as much. I probably watched about six or seven episodes into the, you know, television show and just, I, I couldn't get into it. It just wasn't for me. Totally. Yeah. I think it's just the oversaturation, you know? Yeah. There's zombies everywhere now. Yeah. It's nuts. <laughs> So, Rich, for me, I'm kind of the same as you in the games that I've played, which are Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us. However, I loved the first season of The Walking Dead. It blew me away. And um, I played it with my wife sitting next to me and we were, you know, she's yelling out, you know, say this, do this. (laughs) Yeah, my wife does that too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I remember... um, my friend Jesse was playing it at the time too, and we were. He called me one time, screaming, left me a voicemail like, "I can't believe this character just did this! Like, what the <laughs> hell is going on?" Like, so it, it was really uh, impactful at the time. I played it on the 360, and I even remember to this day the technical issues, which we'll get into. But then I played Wolf Among Us on the Vita and I played it because I got it from one of those trading sites that I was talking about last month. So it just kind of fell into my lap and I really like the Wolf Among Us. I would recommend it, but also on the Vita, technical issues. So there's two things I want to just get off the table right now, which is the technical issues with Telltale Games. And the way the physical game is, so let's talk about this first. <laughs> so listen, I do not fear the digital future. I have a game collection, but I will pay to download a game and whatever the ethics are of, do I own it? Am I renting it? Like, I don't care. It's just a digital game. I'm fine. I know you guys completely yeah, you're are outnumbered. The, yeah. You're the absolute. <laughs> I do fear the digital future. <laughs> I know you guys are the absolute opposite of that, but I think the three of us can agree that it is complete and total and utter bullshit that when you buy a disc of a game and it gives you episode one on the disc and you have to download the other four episodes, that is completely unacceptable. There's no reason for it. It should never be done. And it's one of the most anti-consumer practices I've ever seen in video games. Yeah, super tacky, man. And uh, <laughs> it really screwed my gameplay up one night because I had to wait an hour to an hour and a half for that thing to download on my Wi-Fi. So, um, <laughs> but the good thing is after I downloaded it that night, after I finished, I left my uh, PS4 in rest mode and downloaded all the other three episodes while I was sleeping. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating to think about having this game on disc and not being able to play it in the future if something goes wrong with my system and those other episodes aren't downloadable anywhere. And with the company that's being sued by employees right now, if they go out of business and who knows who picks them up, if anybody... Like these might get pulled from the store and your disc might only have episode one going forward in a year or two. That's right. Yeah. So I think that 
just kind of totally sucks. So let's talk about the technical issues with Telltale games in general and, and if you encountered any in this game. I'll just say when I played Walking Dead on the Xbox 360, I remember getting enraged with the game crashes and bugs and the slowdown and the frame rate issues. And I'm not I'm not one who really complains about frame rate issues when it's like, oh, this was supposed to be locked at 60 and I, I know it's going 48 right now. That you know, I'm not like that, but when a game is chugging like a slideshow, I can tell, you know. <laughs> and uh, when I played uh, Wolf Among Us on the Vita, it was, a, it was the same thing. And when you have a game that's there's a lot of quick time events, that's really unacceptable. And one of the things that Telltale had a problem with, I want to say allegedly, but it's pretty obvious that they signed up for too many projects and never took the time to fix their engine. And most of the games, if not all of them, from what I know, are on the same engine and they never revamped it. It was like having a bad car and you just keep fixing it and repairing it and trying to keep it on the road rather than doing what you and I did, Rich, which is getting rid of the bad car and getting a new car. Yeah. So... I think that's where a lot of the issues came from. Now, I don't know what to say about that just then to generally complain about it. And it, I think it has kind of prevented me from playing more of their games. And uh, I just want to know if that's a, a really huge issue for you guys, because it really kind of fostered a love-hate relationship for me with this company. So what about you, Krabby? Uh, it's been more of a minor annoyance for me. I've I've hit some of those more in The Walking Dead um, where I'd miss a, a dialogue option or a quick time trigger because, like you said, the frame rate was just so slow. I was inputting it, but it wasn't picking it up or it would skip past me seeing there was even a trigger there sometimes. Right. Uh, so you get those unintentional deaths, but in the Telltale games, a death's not really a death. Like you go back 30 seconds and try again. Mm-hmm. So those didn't bother me too much. But in Batman, in the start of the second episode, when you're reliving your parents' murder, Bruce's mom, Martha, puts her hand on Bruce, and there was no hand there. It was just a sleeve that was empty. (laughs) And I'm staring at it. I'm like, well, maybe because it's a flashback, you know, they don't have hands or feet. They're like going for that, like, bravely default kind of style, like uh, art style (laughs) or something, because these are ghost people. And then my game crashed after that sequence, and I had to, like, restart the whole chapter. So... I saw her have a hand the second time I played. I'm like, okay, that wasn't uh, uh, supposed to be like that. But luckily it crashed so early in the chapter, I only had to replay like five minutes. I didn't have to do like an hour's worth of uh, replaying kind of thing. Right. What about you, Rich? Yeah. um, My uh, first playthrough with Wolf Among Us, I don't remember having any issues. I played that on PS3. But with this game, I definitely had some slowdown issues. Now, I will say that I never had any issues during any of the QTE moments of the game, so I I never got messed up in that regard. But you can definitely see the drag and sort of the slowdown. And I think a piece of that also is seen in dialogue choices. A lot of times when you make a dialogue choice, if you make it quickly... Um, you know, another character speaking to you, it will just cut them off instead of letting them finish what they're saying and then you actually responding. And I think that's annoying sometimes because I feel like I'm missing dialogue in that aspect. And uh, I think that's a flaw in the game. Originally, I kind of thought, well, this is just a way for you to pick at the last minute and possibly you, you know, are making the dialogue more natural by cutting them off in their speech. But at the same time, I've picked near the end, like at the last second, 
And in making that choice, it cuts off part of their dialogue. And so for me, that's annoying because I think it takes away from the substance of the game. And so, yeah, I did definitely notice it in this game more so than uh, I did in Wolf Among Us. All right. Well, let's move on into the actual gameplay that gets screwed up by choppy frame rates and (laughs) game crashing bugs. As we mentioned, there are a lot of QTEs and it's a lot of on-screen button prompts and they're for the most part pretty easy but we'll we'll get into that the other half of gameplay are those dialogue choices that we were talking about so there'll be characters talking to each other and it's like a lot of rpgs or if you've any ever played any other telltale game they're kind of all the same where a lot of times it's three kind of sentences that you can say or say nothing so your four face buttons are those kind of options And it's kind of in between the vagary of Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls and something that's very literal, uh, like it's going to say what it says on the screen. So it's a little more concrete than some of the games we've played in the past, I think. In this game in particular, there are these kind of detective sequences where you examine crime scenes. And you look at evidence and you kind of link the evidence together and kind of piece together what has happened. And that is something that's kind of more unique to this game amongst Mm -hmm. Telltale's other catalog. So that is something that they did that was kind of innovative in a way. So we got to give credit where credit is due that they put that in there. This would have made sense for like every franchise they've had because they've had all these really unique properties like Borderlands and and Walking Dead and Guardians of the Galaxy, where if they had one cool mechanic to each game that was unique to that game, I think that would make them uh, separate in my mind a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that with Batman and a lot of the comics, he's he's known as you know the greatest detective. So it makes sense for this to be a part of this game. I don't know. It, it felt a little tacked on to me sometimes. It didn't feel very innovative, like just kind of linking things. I was kind of wondering if I was going to go through this, if sometimes I might have to link more than two things later on in the game, if it got a little progressively more difficult. I could have seen that as being like a little better addition and to make you like think about it. But sometimes even the things you would link up, it didn't really make sense of why you were linking those things up. But once you (laughs) did, you kind of figured it out, right? So it would just be kind of a random try. Yeah, that is true. Um, And the other thing is there are a couple of key story choices that you have to make within the game. You're really at a forked path and you're going to gate off content because you're going, you're literally going either to one physical location or another, or there actually are ones that are kind of more minor. Like there's a couple times in the game where you are given the choice to appear somewhere or interact with a character and you can choose to go as Bruce Wayne or Batman. Yeah. So those are a little less critical, but there's one in particular that I'm thinking of where you either you're being hacked, but also your manor is being attacked. So you either have to go home and defend the homestead or you go to Wayne Enterprises headquarters to stop the penguin from hacking. So that's one where it's like I went to the homestead. So I, I have no idea what happens if you yeah. go to the oh, other place. Dude, I picked the other one. I'm really eager to hear oh, about cool. uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did the homestead as well. Yeah, Nice, good, nice. Good. You got to protect cool. home, man. 
Yeah, Alfred's a pretty right. capable <laughs> human being. I was confident in his skills. <laughs> cool. So, I mean, we talked about the detective mode and how that was a nice, albeit maybe undercooked uh, innovation. But what did you guys think about just the QTs and the dialogue trees? Because I don't think there's too much to say about it, to be quite honest. If you've seen a QTE, if you've you've played God of War or Shenmue, like you've seen (laughs) when it says X on the screen, you press X kind of thing. Yeah. Mm Like Rich said about the detective mode, I, I just would have liked to see them, especially as we got into further episodes, see them escalate a little bit, like for all of these, for the detective mode, for the QTs, for the dialogue options, like something to make them just a little bit uh, more frantic, a little bit more complicated, because um, we're so used to them after five episodes of two hours each that um, it would have been nice to be not necessarily like challenge. You don't like this type of game doesn't need to be skill based or uh, Twitch based but just something to make you think a little harder as you as you get more used to these these systems. Yeah, I thought that the QTEs might get a little more difficult as well, but it, it never got really complicated. It was just mainly your four face buttons. You would use your uh, left stick and then you would use the D-pad sometimes in combination with a face button. And then there was one where you would actually hit R2. But I never saw like R1, L1, L2 ever used. I thought like there would be a little more implementation and maybe yeah. things would get a little more difficult. And like we all played on the PS4. You've got a touchpad on there like, you know, let Batman hack something with the touchpad or something. Like there's yeah. some unique ways they could have used that specific interface. Yeah, and it seemed like the only R2 thing was just for a finishing move that they, they would use like at the end of some of the fighting sequences. Which... Um, and you'd use it for when you'd like toss a batarang or shoot a grappling hook, which would be like Oh, yeah, yeah, I chapter. forgot about that. Yeah. I'm glad you pointed that out. They'd yeah. have the little circle. You'd have to like line it up really quick to like throw a batarang at some guy's gun so he wouldn't shoot you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, did, I actually hated that mechanic. I got a few game overs that way. <laughs> I thought it was cool uh, the first time they introduced it, and I hated it more as it kept showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Very slippery, but I think that's the point. That's the challenge. But um, yeah, I think the idea here is that the gameplay is in service of the story, totally. which is, you know, Telltale's thing. They want to tell you a story. They want to write a good story that you can interact with and kind of fork off of different options. So that's pretty much what we can say about the gameplay. So let's get into the real conversation here.
Well, Kelsey, I'll, I'll give it to you. Tell us how this story opens. So you get this opening, kind of similar to how the uh, the Dark Knight, the Nolan movie begins, where you've got a heist going on. Um, so you're seeing these uh, mercenaries like breaking into City Hall. And then across the street, in the rain and the shadows, you know, Batman steps off this building. And, he, and my favorite part of this intro was you didn't have to react quickly. So I could just stand there and stare at Batman for a minute because I really loved the the design of him. I thought those those thick telltale lines really fit this aesthetic really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Batman flies into this uh, the city hall and he's taking down thugs in uh, my favorite way that he does where he's taking them out one by one and kind of using the the unconscious bodies of the, the thugs to scare the other thugs. And there's this one scene where four guys have already been taken down and the fifth one turns around and the four of them are dangling from the roof unconscious. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh, I love that. And you find out Catwoman's working with them. Uh, she's stealing something from City Hall and you scuffle with her on the roof. Scratches you. Batman gets a good punch in and, and she's off. It was a really strong intro for me. Um, you got to see a lot of uh, how Batman operates in the shadows. You got to see how he interacts with a new, actually competent foe like Catwoman. Uh, you got a lot of his gadgets right off the bat. Like you had grappling hooks and smoke bombs and it, batarangs. It, w- it was great. Were you guys as into it immediately as me, or was it just my, me fanboying out over Batman? Because um, like right away, I'm like, this is going to be amazing. Oh yeah, definitely had those feels as well. I'm like I said, a big Batman fan, and uh, all the things you were describing about, uh, you know, just kind of setting the mood. I thought it was you know just a perfect way to start this game. Yeah, I agree. I I got a good first impression, and. Uh... You know, like I said, I love Catwoman and Laura Bailey in this game. The legendary Laura Bailey does an amazing job as a voice actress for Catwoman. So it was off to a good start for sure. I like the voice acting. I think across the board in this game, I was was pretty impressed with it. (laughs) There's moments in here where I'm going to just be, like I said, fanboying over Batman. So I need you to rein me in if if I'm overdoing it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I did like them for the most part. Uh, one that I didn't like that really particularly stood out to me was John Doe, quote marks. Uh, uh, I can totally agree with that. Yeah, I was not a fan really? of John Doe. Okay. Which, I mean, spoiler. And it's not a spoiler when you see him because his face <laughs> is faded white and his hair is green. Uh, you know, it's the Joker, but he's known as John Doe in this story. And this is uh, really... Um, Bruce Wayne's first interactions with him, which is very interesting, I thought. But yeah, was not a fan of the voice acting for the Joker. Uh, they can't all be Mark Hamill, right? <laughs> very true. Yeah, that would be that's a, t- a really tough act to follow. So, were there any main characters though where you felt the voices were? Because he's a pretty bit part in this. Yeah, no, I mean, for the most part, not so much. Gordon, uh, Alfred, Harvey, Catwoman, Batman, Penguin. Penguin was a little irritating, I thought. I I didn't really like Penguin's voice as much and, you know, kind of what they did the storyline, which which we'll talk about. And it's interesting, um, and I think something you talked about on the, uh, the forums about who your favorite Batman villain is and how they kind of mix that in with Penguin. Yeah. There's a few areas where they, they take lore from a few different places and kind of push them together, and it was interesting. Interesting combinations. Yeah. So just so our listeners know if they care, uh, Batman was played by Troy Baker. 
Uh, as I mentioned, Laura Bailey played Selena Kyle slash Catwoman. Uh, we also had Travis Willingham as Harvey Dent, which is, it's funny because I, I thought for sure it was Chris Parnell, <laughs> but it turns out it wasn't. <laughs> um, N. Rytel played Alfred. Aaron Yvette played Vicky Vale. I just want to shout out some of the voice acting here. I think it's a very important part of the game. And Anthony Ingruber played John Doe and the Joker. And, uh, I actually like this portrayal of the Joker, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves because he he doesn't appear until it's chapter uh, four. Episode, yeah, four. So, but um, I liked his portrayal. The Joker is introduced to us as almost like a teacher's pet of the a staff of Arkham, and I thought that was a really cool angle to take. And he he wants to be uh, Bruce's friend, and of course. We, as the viewer, we know that the, the Joker is the devil, basically. So <laughs> when when he meets Bruce, he does a really good job of just coming off as friendly mm-hmm. and, uh, again, being like a teacher's pet kind of character. I thought that was really cool. To kind of tie that thought back into the first episode, um, I think they, they do that a few times in this game where they assume the player has this relationship with these characters outside of this game mm-hmm. and they don't write them as well as they should have. Um, Harvey in particular in the first episode like you're supposed to believe in him and help him get this position in Gotham as the mayor and they do nothing for almost this whole game to really paint Harvey as a good human being that someone like Bruce would back to to run for mayor they they just kind of assume you think that about Harvey already I think yeah, he's kind of portrayed as this sort of big dumb jock who's just uh, egotistical. Pretty self-centered, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just is someone you probably wouldn't want to back anyway. But then knowing that it's Two Face from the get-go, <laughs> you're kind of like, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you've already kind of made your choices. Um, you know, that that was kind of a question that I had posed to you guys was, uh, do you think knowing what you know already about these characters does that affect how you play the game? And um, I, I think he can't not affect how you play the game yeah you know has to Um, has to color it in some fashion yeah yeah and that's uh i I think telltale in some instances maybe even expects that i guess we'll kind of get into that later when we talk about particular scene that uh that crabby pointed out about the uh, Catwoman and uh bruce wayne you know or or batman so but um I did want to mention real quick while we're talking about voice acting. I'm not a big fan of the Bruce Wayne voice acting in this one either. I love the Batman voice. I do too. Outside of Kevin Conroy's animated series, this is one of my favorite. Like it's way better than the Christian Bale growl. Like I love he hits the little voice module. Like it's it's really cool. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I, I do like the Batman voice. I just felt like the Bruce Wayne voice was a little soft. Um, you know, it wasn't as sort of confident is, you know, like I've heard in a lot of the animated series or in a lot of the movies, you know, just didn't sound like that millionaire playboy voice that you're so used to. But I think in this game, sort of what they do is they kind of make him a more, um, less of a public figure and more of sort of an isolated introverted character. I think mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure where this fits kind of timeline wise. Cause most of the books, like he, comes back to Gotham after a long absence and mm-hmm, yeah. nobody like they, they know the Wayne name because it's on these big towers and these buildings all around, but nobody really knows Bruce Wayne. 
in his early years. And as he lived in Gotham for longer times, then everybody starts to know him because he's a lot more public. Uh, but this game has a lot of stuff that indicates it's his very early in Batman's career, but he's, he seems really capable and confident like it's not early in his career. So that I think there's a little bit of conflicting messages in there. Because like they pull out the bat signal for the first time in this game. He's meeting right. all these characters like Catwoman and uh, Joker for the first time. Uh, and the children of Arkham and Penguin he hasn't seen in, in 20 years. Um, it's all these first encounters and he's just building this relationship with Gordon. But at the same time, like he's got all the tech. He, he knows how to use it confidently. He's not really making mistakes. He, he's got the bat computer. He knows how to hack everybody. Like he's got all these skills and abilities and gadgets that you'd think would take years to accrue. Um, even though he seems like all these other things are pointing to him just starting out. Hacking skills. Bo staff skills. <laughs> He's Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> so, episode one is basically the Carmine Falcone show. He's the appetizer as far as villains go. Yeah. And the plot that is being set up is that you're trying to get Harvey elected, and there's a scene where. Carmine is at Wayne Manor and, and Harvey said, oh, well, he's, he's one of my contributors. And then it unravels into that. We discover Carmine is involved in some kind of chemical smuggling. Yeah. So you discover that he has this plan to do something with these chemicals. And then furthermore, you find out, I think it's at the very last minute that you're father was involved with Carmine <laughs> yeah. in some way. You, you find out at the press conference and then it kind of confirms it at the end when you confront him. Right. So that's the episode in, the, in a nutshell. The major decisions, if you want to talk about those, I don't know why I did this, but I, I shut Harvey out of the meeting with Falcone. I did too, yeah. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. That was actually in, I, where I in the minority. <laughs> Oh, you let him in. Yeah. So, did you shake his hand? I shook his hand too. I did shake his hand. Yeah. Oh, okay, I did not. Oh, so, but that's that's not on the chart here. So it must not have been a big minor <laughs> choice. A big one. Okay. And then you have a choice to give Vicky Vale a quote about the allegations against the Waynes, and I did that. That yeah, was the majority did of did people. Too. Okay. Um, breaking the guy's arm. Now we talked about this in messaging. Oh, and on the forum, that was a big yeah, talking point with yeah. you guys. So this is a good one. Yeah. Krabby totally showed me up on this one. He's totally right. Yeah. Pictures and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and the results, it's interesting because the results are right down the middle. I, so I did break the guy's arm and it says you and 48.7% of people broke wow. the guy's arm. So the scenario is when you first discover these chemicals, there's a sniper and you are given a choice to break his arm or not. So I went ahead and did that. And uh, Rich, you didn't, but Krabby, tell me why. It's important that you break this guy's arm. <laughs> I, I don't think it's important. I tried to make it clear in that post that either choice is very legitimate, depending on how you want to approach Batman, because there's been so many yep. tellings. Uh, but the Batman that I have in my mind doesn't mess around like, this guy's a sniper, this guy is going to kill people. And he even makes a comment after breaking his arm to Gordon. He's like, he's not going to be shooting anybody again anytime soon. Like That's going to take a while to heal and, and be functional again. So I yep. think he's 
just uh, trying to get to the information as quick as he can because lives are on the line. He's he's not messing around with this guy. Adam West wouldn't have done that. Though. He would have just punched him yeah. in the face and would sit no, or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. But I think with Batman's thing of you know not killing people. And it's funny because I before we came on the air, I, I watched a YouTube video of all examples of Batman killing people, which was kind of funny. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, them, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, they're out there. But as a general rule of thumb, Batman doesn't kill people. Right. But unless you're in the movie universe, he kills people in like every movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think he should definitely send him away in an ambulance. I'm with you, Krabby here. Like I like the vicious Batman. I like the Batman who's busting skulls and breaking (laughs) people's arms and, you know, hurting people. So, yeah, but this to me was like, after he had already coughed up information, I've never felt that Batman does any like unnecessary violence after he gets what he wants. So you thought it was sadistic. Yeah, I did. I thought it was kind of a, really dark move that Batman wouldn't make. And plus, you know, there's this whole idea, like you said, this is sort of the beginning of Batman and you've got police commissioner Gordon, who you're really trying to impress. It was the same thing with the, um, Carmine Falcone portion of the game where you have a chance to like throw him off the building. It says, you know, do you want to do this or not? Or do you just want to just have him arrested? It's that same kind of vibe to me. Like you're trying to, get on the good side of the Gotham police force and not be this hated person. So I feel like anything you do in that sense could increase based on a telltale game, that amount of hatred towards your character. That's just my thoughts. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely just different versions of the character. So it's all good. So the other two choices was once you get the dirt on Falcone and what he's doing, whether you give it to the police or to Vicky Vale. I don't know what overall effect this would have on anything, but I gave it to Vicky Vale and I was in the minority. So. Yeah, I gave it to the police. I did police too. Yeah. And that evidence was the stuff that Catwoman was stealing at the start of the game. I don't, I don't think we mentioned that. That's right. Oh, because it involves not only Thomas Wayne, but also the current mayor, Mayor Hill. So it's it's all this big conspiracy that he's trying to blow up. Um, And the last thing is what Rich just mentioned, which is showing restraint and handing Falcone over to the police safe and sound, which is what I did. And 82 percent of people did. What is the other choice? Uh, it's like brutalize him first, but and you have like a television camera like up there watching as it happens. I just arrested him ah, like you guys okay. did as well. I'm surprised, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was a television camera there. It wasn't just Gordon. <laughs> no one's going to believe him that he saw a giant bat break a sniper's arm. <laughs> uh, well, in episode two, you can take out your uh, aggression on Falcone in a different way. Before we move on to two, can I say one of my favorite things about episode one? Absolutely. Right off the bat, Catwoman and Batman recognized each other on the street because of their injuries from the fight before. There was no beating around the bush of people trying to figure out identities. Like They were smart enough to, to figure it out right off the bat, and I love that. Yeah, that was a good moment. Yeah. Uh, absolutely agree. Um, yeah, so let's move into episode two. So episode one was a really good setup for everything. Like I said, you, you put Falcone away at the end of episode one. So that gets kind of tied up with a nice little bow. That whole episode had me really craving more. I, I loved yeah. it. 
Absolutely. Me too. It was a really good place setter for the rest of the game. So episode two is where things start to really unwind because Bruce wants to find out more about his father's involvement with these crimes that are being committed. I can't remember, is this, when are we introduced to the fact that there's something going on with patients being put into Arkham that they shouldn't be? It's in this chapter a little later. Okay. So we start with... um, Falcone in the hospital? Is that where the episode starts? Uh, no, they're in the alley uh, reliving his parents' death with the with Oh, the that's right. That's ghost. right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no hand goes. <laughs> All right. So you, you had some good comments about this on the thread as well. It's just dumb. <laughs> it, it is really dumb. Like he goes back to Crime Alley and he's just trying to remember harder. <laughs> yeah. Know? And he does. <laughs> yeah. It works. How does he that just work? divines more details out of this, you know, traumatic thing that is his origin story. It's his whole life. And Alfred's there with him too. And he just found out that his most trusted confidant and like person he considers family has kind of lied to him about the most important thing in his life for two decades. Yeah. And they don't even really have a conversation about it. He's just kind of like, are you mad at me? You say yes or no and you move on. <laughs> are you still my friend? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. whole scene was not a, not a strong start for me after, after how cool most stuff in episode one was. Yeah. So Bruce wants more details. So he pulls some strings with Harvey to get into the hospital to interrogate Falcone. Into That's what the- it was. Police precinct. He's being held, I think. Oh, and there's right, like a right. hospital bed in there with some morphine and stuff. So you interrogate Falcone. You find out more about your father's involvement, but not that much. When something <laughs> crazy happens, uh, Rich, what happens in this scene? Well, you're asked if you want to give him more morphine to help him out. Which you know, I was like, uh, nah. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Did Screw any of us? Yeah. I didn't. Uh, no. But um, the uh, Montoya, I think it is, one of the police yep. officers who's on the scene, she comes into the room while you're talking to him and just blasts Falcone and it kills him. I mean, this is like one of the main Batman yeah. villain characters to die this early. I didn't mention yeah. in the first episode, but one of the first things you see is when they break into City Hall, they shoot the guard right in the head and that kind of set the tone i thought right away too which uh you don't see that level of violence in moving batman media you see it in the comics a lot but not in like tv shows and cartoons and video games like that that was pretty out there i thought yeah it's true and i'd ask you is this a game that i can play with my kids and you guys like uh no 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 (laughs) don't do that it's one of those moments where i'm like oh this is m-rated like i didn't realize that when i started i didn't notice that on the box yeah but uh falcone gets blown away in the hospital through your detective work, uh, you find <laughs> out that Montoya has uh, been injected by a syringe in the neck and that this is causing this uh, reaction and it's this serum that increases the feelings of the characters. It strengthens them to where you can't control them or stop these feelings. And so her hatred for Falcone kind of comes out and she um, involuntarily shoots him. Yep, very good. And in one of the more nonsensical portions of the game is Bruce being able to interrogate her once like immediately after she has murdered a guy. Right. right. <laughs> so yeah, they, they lock a civilian in an interrogation room with a yeah. murderer with a bunch of witnesses that saw this murder. <laughs> like, 
It's not maybe she did it. Like everyone saw it. Yeah. And it's one of the many moments too during that scene where she's kind of in and out of consciousness and he's talking on the phone to Alfred about being Batman and doing Batman things like with a person in the room who could possibly remember this conversation. And he does it several times throughout the game. It kind of drives me nuts that he really doesn't care who knows who he is. Yeah, I noticed that a few times as well. And in this scene in particular, it's like, wait, she could have heard that, dude. (laughs) Yeah, so you go to meet Selena to warn her, I think. And she didn't know who her client was. And he tells her his name and and she, she realizes how much danger she's in now. Exactly. So lo and behold, like you said, while you're at the bar, they find you. And there's one of the better quick time event scenes in the game was just having Bruce and Selena in street clothes fight these dudes. And I enjoyed that quite a bit. And then it's marked as a choice whether or not you want to kiss Selena (laughs) in the alley after this fight. (laughs) Very bizarre feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a large majority went in for the kiss. I fought the instincts. Staying true to Harvey. Yeah, we didn't mention, too, that Harvey and her were Harvey's shown as kind of an right. item at the start. Yeah, so trying to be loyal to my friend. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, we'll get into how that plays much bigger in the next episode. So the next thing you want to do is talk to Mayor Hill because he's involved in this. And this is one of the choices I was talking about before where you can choose to meet him as Bruce or Batman. I went as Batman. Uh, always go as Batman. I right. went as Bruce. Always. Oh, oh Bruce. Okay. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go as Batman, you just kind of rough him up and interrogate him as you would think you would. But what happens when you go as Bruce? Uh, he just kind of tells you you're an idiot and everyone's corrupt and you should join him and be corrupt too. He doesn't really give you any info out of him. So you guys probably made the right choice there. Nice. Um, after that, you find out that... Um, Harvey's in danger at the debate, so you're calling him frantically, trying to warn him, and you're trying to head to this uh, this public debate to uh, make sure he's safe. Right. But what he tells you when you call him to tell him to either back out of the debate or just watch himself, he tells you that he's been advised to distance himself from you. Yeah. And he says, I can still count on you for the funding, right? And this is actually one of the choices <laughs> I withdrew my funding from Harvey's campaign and I was in an 8% group. The vast majority of people continued to contribute to Harvey's campaign. Now, Kelsey, you're a Harvey Dent loyalist, so I would imagine you kept giving him your money. Yeah, I told him something like, I understand you need to be distanced. You still got my money. But like thinking about how this character has been portrayed, like you made the logical choice. Like he hasn't given you any reason to believe in him and to keep funding him. Um, so I think if I was a a real person in that situation, I I would have pulled the funding. I pulled the funding too. I'm I'm one of the 8%. Yeah. Very interesting. Guys are so elite. (laughs) (laughs) So you go to the press conference basically as Batman. That's not a choice. You just, you go as Batman and Selena is there and I can't remember, does she appear randomly or do you like plan that she's going to be there? I can't remember. I think you kind of make plans uh, when you're splitting up at the bar um, that Harvey's in trouble. And when I say Selena, I mean Catwoman. So you got Batman and Catwoman both at the press conference. Um, So the Penguin takes it over. It's supposed to be a debate between Hill and Dent. 
Uh, but the penguin just kills the moderator and replaces the moderator with Vicky Vale. But Krabby, as you mentioned on the forum, this kind of doesn't really mean anything and it doesn't amount to anything. So what are your thoughts on why they even did that? Well, as just with this chapter, it's just with what we know up to this point, it's stupid. He kills a moderator and says, oh, oops, now we need a moderator. And just seems to pick randomly like a character that you know the name of. So there's there's someone more involved in the story. It, it right. makes sense later on once you know the twist. But up to this point, I thought it was, was quite ridiculous. I think you made the point that it would have actually, because Vicky is a journalist, it could have made sense to just have her be the moderator in the first place. And it would have worked. I think so. She might have had, uh, like, knowing what we know going forward, and I'm assuming we can talk about some, some spoilers going onward, Yeah. but I mean, uh, maybe that's too many strings for her to pull, and, and something would have come out of her past if they had to vet her for this position or something. So maybe this was the way to get around that. Right. So as Batman, you have to kind of go in and take out the guards and get the civilians out and break up this issue that's happening with the penguin. I, I like at these the kind conference. of scenes where they let you plan out how you want to take everyone down. I know they're really easy and inconsequential, but it, but it's just fun to be like, it's like, do you want to smash this guy with a door or throw like a camera light at him? Like, And you go through like three or four of those sequences and then you just get to watch them kind of play out as you plan them. It's, I don't know, satisfying, I thought. Yeah, good point, yeah. Yeah, those were neat. They were similar. In fact, they're very similar to the detective scenes where you're actually linking things. The way they do it is you link the thug to the door that you're going to smash him with. they're not far (laughs) off for sure. (laughs) So the end of chapter two is very climactic. Um, I love this this last like few minutes of this. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really kind of a like hits the fan kind of moment. Mayor Hill gets assassinated and uh, it culminates with a moment where you have to choose between saving Selena, who's been kind of beaten down and looks like she's about to be captured, or save Harvey, who the penguin is hovering over him with a stage light. Um, One important thing that you did miss was both Hill and Dent get drugged by that same drug that Montoya got. Yep. And Uh so they're doing their their stump speeches, but they're they're kind of... telling the truth of how they feel and so hill's talking about like massacring the homeless to like get rid of this problem in gotham and (laughs) and dent dent gives the one time in this whole story where he seems like a good person with other people's interests in mind which i thought was really cool because it was on this drug that supposedly makes him tell the truth so he's talking about standing up for gotham he sees the good things in it even though there's problems there um he didn't say anything specific enough but it it was a general like good feelings kind of kind of moment for him Very good. And uh, so I saved Catwoman because there's two things. I wanted to see Harvey become Two-Face, and I also didn't want to play a scenario where Catwoman either gets killed or captured. Like, I wanted her to remain as, like, kind of a partner or teammate. So I figured save her, let Harvey get Two-Faced, and go from there. And I was in the slight majority with the 62.1 percentile. What did you guys do? I saved her because she's hot. <laughs> I, I saved Harvey. <laughs> I, my reasoning was I like I've seen her in two fights already, and I know she's extremely capable. She's gonna handle whatever they're throwing at her. Harvey, on the other hand, he's a big dude, but I don't know if he could actually you know handle a, a giant light getting thrown at his face. 
So I, I went after Harvey and uh, and Catwoman got shot in the shoulder and ran off uh, before anybody was able to apprehend her. Okay. So does Harvey just still get slammed with the stage light? Like how does that change that playing out? Harvey, and this blew my mind, he never got a scar on his face the entire game I played. Oh, wow. Really? He, he was dent the whole game through. And I kept wow. waiting for that moment for this to change and it never happened. That's really interesting. <laughs> That is interesting. We'll have to get into that in the next yeah, episode. It, it makes I'm... some scenes interesting starting in the next episode. Wow, I'm very intrigued. All right, any final thoughts on episode two then before we move on? Uh, just a slow start and a strong finish. It got me kind of excited to jump into the next episode again, even though uh, it took a while to get going this time. Yeah, and this is the first time we see the um, children of Arkham leader. Yeah, we got a whole new villain introduced. We didn't even mention a quick uh, intro to them on this uh, projector screen um, during the debate. Um, like new to Batman lore in general, this this character does not exist in the comics or the TV shows or anything. Oh, good. I was going to ask you that, actually. So that's that's pretty neat that that's an original character for this game. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So... Rather than me feeling around in the dark for episode three, <laughs> Krabby, you want to just kind of talk about it and I'll, I'll, you know, we'll hand it off to each other and sure. I'll call out the, the major decisions because I have them in front of me. So the first scene I think is going to be very different for all of us because uh, you visit Harvey in the hospital and I'm assuming he's got bandages all over his face in your scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's in right. mine, he's just, you know, he's got a couple little band-aids on him and that's all. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I want to replay the game now just to see all this. It's kind of neat. Um, he, he has this talk with Bruce and mine about um, his therapist being really worried about him because old tendencies are coming out and the drug's not wearing off like it should. And so you kind of get the hint that that split personality's going to happen whether he gets the uh, scar or not. Oh, interesting. What was your conversation with? Like, Did they talk about his therapist at all or any of the uh, the drug after effects? Yeah, I, I think so, pretty much, right, Rich? Yeah, I remember um, him being very angry. I remember the TV being on and them talking about everything that was going on, and you were trying to kind of calm him down and, you know, maybe shut off the TV and convince him, hey, don't look at this stuff, don't worry about it. And so you were just kind of trying to, like, quell his anger in the hospital, and um Actually, Selena starts walking into the hospital with you and she's like, I don't want to come in, you know, because this chemistry that you have going on with her, you know, she still sort of cares for Harvey as a person. She doesn't want to see him like that. But also, I think that uh, because she has this sort of attraction to you more so than him, she refuses to go in to the hospital room. Yeah, it's pretty similar to mine that they really didn't change much other than some bandages. Yeah, and he looks like Phantom of the Opera. He's wearing like a little mask at first <laughs> until you get to see the gruesomeness later, which is really, really well done. Like a half style. porcelain white kind of thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it's very strange. <laughs> but then when you see him later, man, it is the artwork is so great. Uh, oh, I got to look that face. up because I, oh, yeah. I was a little disappointed uh, that I didn't ever get to see that. Um, then you get the the cool uh, the bat signal in the uh in the sky out the hospital so you got to make your excuse and, and go meet gordon on the rooftop of the gcpd uh and gordon mentions like this is how i'm going to get a hold of you from now on like it's the first time he used it which i thought was really cool yeah it's well done and then uh, i think from that point that's where the uh 
the big decision is, right? Whether um, uh, one of the big decisions in the game, Montoya has somehow gone rogue and escaped and is... Uh, <laughs> Who's she fighting? I can't remember. I'm trying to remember who she's uh, going she up against. She found a, a drug shipment of uh, oh, Falcones, right. and mm-hmm. it's very time-sensitive, so she's on it, and she can't wait for backup. Mm-hmm. And then the other decision is uh, Harvey, right? Going to yeah, uh, rescue Harvey. He's gotten out of the hospital, and he's in danger. Yeah. I chose Montoya. Yeah, I did too. So did I. Yeah. And it was pretty split down the middle. 60% chose Montoya as well. But I think we all had the same rationale, like Harvey can take care of himself. And Montoya, yeah. who just was on drugs and killed the guy, is probably a little unhinged. And <laughs> maybe we should keep an eye on her. Um, My thought was more the drugs are going to do more overall damage than, than losing Harvey at this point because he's starting to go a little crazy anyway. So yeah. I thought I'd save more lives going after the, the drug shipment. Ah, okay. Interesting. Um, so there's a, there's a quick scene with, uh, Batman and Gordon, um, just telling them that their, their comms are hacked and, and Gordon to go take care of that. But then the next bigger thing is you go to back to Wayne Enterprises and Regina there is just a minor character you meet in the first episode. Uh, she's part of the, the Wayne Enterprise board of directors. She's there to tell Bruce in person that, um, they're voting him out as CEO. They had a secret meeting and he's got to step down. Uh, so then you get to meet another important character from Batman lore, uh, Lucius Fox enters, um, and you have a couple quick conversations with him. Um, and then after that, you find out that um, Cobblepot Penguin is uh, going to be Batman's replacement at Wayne Enterprises, which uh, I'll let Rich talk about this a little bit. I think we were on the same page with this one. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. Um, and what we m- didn't mention before was that Cobblepot and Bruce Wayne were childhood friends. There's a scene earlier where they meet in a park and you realize that they've actually grown up together and that Cobblepot's family was basically destroyed. Their wealth had gone away and he's been sent overseas. And um, he, I think he had some military training and then he was yeah, like in yeah. prison for some minor crimes and stuff. Yeah, and so you find out that he's going to be taking your place at Wayne Enterprises after the board has asked you to step down. So um, it's intriguing, and what I had mentioned earlier was this whole idea of the uh, the villain Hush, how they sort of combined this Hush and this Cobblepot character, yeah. someone who's a childhood friend of Bruce's. And yeah, it's kind of a very interesting thing they've done there. Yeah, they kind of meld the two characters of Penguin and Hush together into one, and, and I don't hate it. I, it's interesting enough I, I like both the uh characters separately so putting them together really didn't uh, bother me i thought it was an interesting version of the penguin nice so in a very tense scene they bring oswald into the office with regina and bruce and uh he's, he's a total d- to you and one of, one of the choices i guess you can hit him because he yeah. takes a a watch that belonged to did it belong to Bruce's father? Uh, I think it was, yeah. Right. So it's one of Bruce's like personal effects. He takes it off his desk and he purposely drops it in front of you. And, uh, you know, he just does this like high school bully routine. Like, oops. Oh, I'm so careless. It's really effective because it, it'll piss you off as the player. Um, oh, I hit him. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I did not. The slight majority did not hit him. As well. Yeah, so there you, you can go. actually okay. hit him again too. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> didn't hit him. Just break his arm time, like though. a sniper. 
<laughs> I thought the first time was a good enough point, you know, that you're being a jerk. Didn't need to enact any more violence than necessary. That was awesome. I figured so, Regina was there, put on a good show, just in case she had any sway on the board still, but didn't play it that way. So as you're leaving, you you get to talk to Lucius, and uh, basically he works for Wayne Enterprises, and he said, well, if you're, if you're leaving, I can't be here kind of thing. But you have a choice to tell him to stay, to be your quote-unquote inside man, or have him come work with you in the bat cave basically i'm guessing because i i had him stay at wayne enterprises i had him stay as well after, after finding out there was a bat cave in wayne enterprises i'm like somebody needs to guard that if cobblepot's going to be in this building every day right yeah i thought about it but i was like mm, he might be out of a job soon you know I'm, I'm gonna bring him in so i brought him into the bat cave very good right on quick visit to harvey at city hall again you kind of see him losing his grasp on uh on things um, nothing major. Uh, you make a appointment with uh, Vicky after that. After you see a newspaper article about uh, her interview with the leader of the Children of Arkham, so you you get to meet her in the park. And I think is this a choice? You get to meet her as Batman or Bruce, or was it just Batman? Because I went as Batman. Well, it's not on my chart here, but I'm not exactly sure. I must be misremembering that as a choice then. Yeah, I was Batman as well, so I it might not have been nice. So yeah, you, you talk to her in the park. Uh, you're basically looking to find her contact to how she met with this person. Uh, she's reluctant to give it away. You, you can intimidate her a little bit, tell her to turn off her voice recorder and stuff. Everything's off the record. And she eventually gives you the address where she met with the leader of the Children of Arkham. You head to the Sky Rail where they met and you do another little investigation uh, you kind of deduce that they're going to use the sky rail to load up all these drugs that they've been stealing for the last two episodes and disperse them over huge portions of Gotham a la Scarecrow kind of style and uh, kind of make everybody go a little nuts like uh, Harvey and Hill were at the debate. Right. You find out that they're going to go to the most populated stations in the city. Like exactly. That's their plan to get the maximum effectiveness. Um, then some people start coming in, you notice Catwoman's, uh, kind of with the thugs and with this, uh, leader of the children of Arkham. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not actually sure what point of this game they start calling her Lady Arkham. It just seemed out of nowhere, but it's Lady Arkham, uh, comes in, uh, with, with these, uh, thugs and Catwoman. I think you get like the coolest, maybe quick time events in the whole game during the fight with the Lady Arkham. Um, I thought they were pretty fun, uh, especially the moment where, um, you're kind of pinned to the wall and Selena throws her like magnetic uh, claw thing and you, you grab it and like slide up this pillar and then come down and kick her in the face. Yeah, that was really cool. And they, they have these moments during those quick time events. Like I think every single one where you just have this like art panel from a comic book where Batman just like kind of floats for a second. Nothing's really moving and you just see some like cool lighting on him while he's doing an awesome pose and then the action resumes again. I, I like those kind of moments. Yeah, you keep fighting. Uh, the battle doesn't go well for Batman. Um, she's got these, like, uh, I don't even know what you call it, like a concussion staff where she can, like, kind of blast you backwards out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and she throws this electrical charge down. that It looks like it breaks a hole in the shoulder of his suit, and he falls off this high railing. Catwoman's there, so she grabs him at the last second before he hits the ground to kind of save him from further damage. And uh, you blow up the sky rail on the way out, and... Head it into Selena's apartment. She takes Your you there to kind of lay part low. Of the game. <laughs> <laughs> One of many. <laughs> 
Um, so it's it's like a romance scene. I said in the forum post that it doesn't seem skippable, but apparently it is. I thought I was trying to avoid it because I was like I was still trying to play to Harvey, but I really it happened anyway, even though I I didn't feel like I was giving those signals to the game. So what Krabby is talking about here is whether or not you want to have sexual intercourse with Selena. <laughs> and um, 90% of players wanted to go that route. <laughs> well, that's misleading because I didn't want to go that route, but I ended up in that route. I do remember there was one dialogue choice that had what I thought was a pretty clear-cut negative like a, I don't see you that way kind of answer. Right. I think I was trying to subtly say no, I guess. And he, I guess he had to be just extremely blunt for it not to not happen. We'll just have to guess, but it probably just plays the same way anyway, because Harvey's going to show up the next morning. And even if you don't sleep with her, there's another dude in her apartment when Harvey gets there. So that yeah. the scenario could play out exactly the same. I, I looked though. into this one and, and, and it sounds like okay. Bruce sleeps on the couch instead. And, and when ah. Harvey comes in, so he still sees him there kind of like half naked, making breakfast kind of thing. Yeah. I just want to say that this uh, scene as a whole with uh, Selena created a very awkward moment with my wife and I. <laughs> <laughs> as we, as I was in the living room she's just kind of like staring at me like what's he gonna do and I'm just like I'm going for it yeah <laughs> so yeah yeah it was it was kind of bizarre but you know my wife's cool I mean you know she she was just kind of giggling about it it turned into a whole funny thing but uh yeah it's yeah it, 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 it creates this sort of awkwardness you know in playing a video game that you just really don't experience with a lot of games so uh so yeah there's that that's funny um yeah so i did it not only just to get you know just to have (laughs) sexy time but i also was playing kind of the opposite of what krabby was doing which is trying to be loyal to harvey i didn't care i just i like want to see that two-faced (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, I already had Two-Face and I wanted to just, like I said, I really like how they set up Catwoman and Batman as a team, kind of, as a partnership. And I just wanted to, you know. Um, Seal the deal? Well, the, what, <laughs> what's the proper word for when you have sex after you get married? Why is it? Oh, consummate? Um, yeah, I wanted to consummate the relationship. Thank you very much. Um, Whatever helps so, you sleep at night, Sean. I, right? I know all the sex words. Just ask if you can't think of another one. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. So anyway, the next morning Harvey shows up. He wants to talk to Selena, and he discovers that you're there. In the um, most clumsy way possible, too. It's ridiculous. Yeah, because Bruce is... Oh, I brought well, espressos. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I meant more Bruce being clumsy about not hiding. Like, he's standing there in a door that's open a foot, staring at him like he doesn't see him, and then he doesn't notice the cat knock the door open, doesn't try to move or anything. Right. So then, obviously, Harvey is angry, and an altercation ensues. And this is the final choice of the episode, is whether or not you want to kind of dissolve the situation, or you can kind of make him fight you. I think they say, like... It's like wear him out or beat him up. Right, right. So I did that. I fought with him and I was actually in a 15% minority. So I don't don't know if you guys picked the other uh, option. Wear him out, yeah. 
you got to remember in mine, I don't have Two-Face yet. I've still got Harvey. So it was this really weird, like, because they're trying to do the Two-Face thing, but without having the actual Two-Face. So he's talking to himself and going nuts. So all you see is like a grown man, like really going crazy in front of you. He doesn't (laughs) look like a villain. So I kind of felt bad for him. So I just wore him out and just kind of let him tucker himself down. That's awesome. So... How does the episode end? Um, you go to the press conference where you are supposed to tell the world that you're stepping down as CEO and they've got the teleprompter script all written up for you, uh, which you can either choose to follow or not. Um, I didn't follow it. I thought it was just nope. fun to kind of let everybody know what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, and then, like, my, f- I think my favorite moment in this whole game, um, you, you step off after doing it and Cobblepot's trying to salvage the press conference. And Vicky comes up to you, starts talking to you, and just out of nowhere, she injects you in the hand with uh, the same drug that we've been talking about that kind of makes people lose control of their temperament. And Bruce looks at her, sees that she's Lady Arkham the whole time, and then goes nuts in front of everybody and beats down Cobblepot on a live press conference. I never saw that that moment coming. <laughs> like I thought up until this point in the game, Vicky was seemed very much on my side. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That was a great twist, and uh, we should re- we should mention the beatdown. Unfortunately, happens off camera. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, as soon as he's charging Cobblepot, yeah, like kind of cut scene. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that twist was awesome, and uh, it, it was a good use of Vicky Vale because I guess the what else are you going to have her do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, what did you think about that, Rich? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I bought it so much. I wasn't crazy about the idea of her being Lady Arkham, but uh, I do agree, though, that the twist was done really, really well. And, you know, is she someone who, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne always trusts throughout, you know, the comics and any interpretation of her was done really, really well. I'm just, I, I don't know. I don't know if she's believable as a villain, though. You guys haven't played Arkham Knight then, I assume. No. no, not yet. No. So they tried to do this almost this exact same thing where they're like, we get to make a new character for the Batman, a new villain, which is the Arkham Knight. And everybody before the game even came out was like, it's Jason Todd. We know it's Jason Todd, which if you know Batman lore, it's quite obvious that it's him even before the game launched. Whereas in this game, they get to make a new villain and they did the exact same thing where they took an existing known quantity, but they actually tricked me where Arkham Knight couldn't do that. I, I, I was quite impressed. Nice. Do it. 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 Do it.
Well, well, let's just move on to episode four. Episode four begins with Bruce in Arkham Asylum, which is which is pretty cool. Opening yeah. at that, yeah, yeah, very awesome, kind of unexpected. And you're in your cell, and basically one of the orderlies is going to let a couple of hooligans beat up on you. He's not just going to let them. They pay him. They, get, they, they pay him. To, him. <laughs> yep. Very true. Very true. It's a business transaction. We kind of skimmed over it, but um, Bruce has a lot of history with Arkham too. His dad, being a, a doctor, uh, used to send people here. That's where these children of Arkham have kind of come from. And, and there's video evidence of him, like, basically euthanizing Cobblepot's mom in a, in a hospital bed in Arkham so that she would sell him land too. So there, there's a little bit of history with Bruce in Arkham. Right. So this is where we first meet the Joker who is called John Doe. But as Rich was saying, it's the Joker visually. That's what he looks like. And this is kind of what I was talking about previously with the character. This is his moment to shine. And he's a very... Like you were saying, Krabby is a minor character in this game, but uh, this is some of the best moments with him are within this sequence of events, which is basically the hospital staff comes and breaks up this fight that's going on, and the Joker's there, and uh, it's one of the higher-ups in Arkham. Is they're going to give him a tour or something, show him around, and the Joker's with them. And then they just, they kind of end up in this rec room area where you're kind of free to walk around and talk to people. And the Joker's, he hands you a key discreetly and you have to find out what the key is for. You can try it on different things, but he tells you the only way to get out of here is to get to the phone and the phone is past the barricade. He laughs at you for being idiot for trying the key on anything. Right. (laughs) That's a good, it's a fun Joker moment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One of the choices here I think is very significant, and I actually want to know, because it's literally the result is a 50-50 split on this choice. The Joker says he'll help you get out if you promise to do him a favor in the future. And I think it would be interesting to promise to do him a favor, but as I said, the Joker represents the devil, and you never do a deal with the devil. So I, of course, said no. And one of the things I was thinking was, I didn't realize the Joker was such a minor role in this game, but I figured I don't want the Joker to be forcing me to kill Alfred in the next episode. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like that's right. that's kind of what I was thinking about. So I just said, no, I'm not going to help. Like it's not going to stop the game from progressing. So there was a little bit of a fourth wall disconnect. Like I just said, no, I'm not going to do this favor. We'll We'll figure it out. So what did you guys think of that? Because I thought that was very significant. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it seems like a very significant moment in the game where, you know, you might have to actually do something you don't want to do later. So same as you, you know, uh, you don't get in bed with the devil, you know, (laughs) so uh, yeah, didn't help him out. I couldn't go that route either. Um, And I I don't think it was just preconceived notions about the Joker. Like Bruce is trying to build this replacement hospital for Arkham. I kind of figured he'd be versed with notable patients there and and just someone being in an insane asylum even if you don't know him you'd kind of err on the safe side and go yeah i'm not gonna owe a, a sane person a favor right well i'm curious if it plays out in the, in this game at all or if it's something that they save for the next game i wonder does right. the save even carry over into the don't next really game? interact with him again in this game so i'd assume yeah. it would have to like carry over into the next season 
Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's interesting. I might have to look into that. So basically, you get out of Arkham by the Joker causes a ruckus and... With some awesome fan service characters, too. Yes. Yeah, Zaz. that's right. You guys want to get into that? We don't need yep. to go deep into them. We're, we're, it's late. You guys are getting yeah. tired. But <laughs> no, I, I love fine. when they throw these kind of little Easter eggs. Like Ventriloquist could have been anybody in this game. It didn't really change the story. But I got a smile talking to him and Sako in the corner for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. So, yeah. Joker says, I'm going to cause a distraction. And he does. And the orderlies come in through this barricade that you needed to get through to get to the phone. So you get to the phone, you call your lawyers or you can oh. call. Oh, wait, you can call. I didn't go to the phone. There's oh, another choice really? there where you yes. can stop the uh, the riot. So you can go take down Zaz so he doesn't uh, kill the other inmate. Okay, that makes sense because that's what this uh, the next choice in the game is. 68.8% of players chose to follow the Joker's advice and make a phone call to get out of Arkham. So if you stop Zaz, what do they say? You can get out on good behavior? Like, how does that work? You get thrown back into your original cell for a while, and then Alfred uh, kind of comes in and he tells you he's been doing his lawyering and stuff, and, and they're getting you out. So Alfred comes and busts you out. Ah, very good. So I let a couple orderlies die for nothing, I guess, in the playthrough. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Yeah. I guess it makes logical sense. I mean, Alfred would know you're in there and would be trying to get you out either oh, way. desperately. Whether you yeah. called him or not. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I figured even if he didn't know Zaz personally, that guy's a serial killer. Like, he'd have yeah, a pretty you can high infer. profile. So, he, he'd know what he's going to do. Right. All right. So, you get out of Arkham, then what happens? Uh, you get a really interesting ride home with Alfred where you get stopped at a barricade, which... Seem to come out of nowhere. It's like all of a sudden Harvey's got like trained, armed, like heavily armed thugs like patrolling the streets and putting up roadblocks now. Yeah, that's right. He's kind of established a martial law that is like separate from the police force. Yeah, they're not the police at all. They don't really take you there. It's just a leap into that all of a sudden. This mob starts coming towards the car. They're all pissed off at Bruce and, and his family for kind of poisoning Gotham over the years. So you get the choice of going out and facing the mob or telling Alfred to uh, uh, run the barricade. Um, or you could like bribe the guard and go face the mob. Was that the other choice? Because I rammed the barricade with Alfred. Yeah, I ran the barricade too. It was pretty split down the middle. I think the, the other choice was to bribe the guard. So yeah, that, that was an interesting scene that the, the bystanders was an interesting choice like to contend with them. I don't know. It was a very bizarre scene. You get that feeling that the city just hates Bruce right now. Like after that press conference and all the rumors that have been coming around, there's, there's really no hope for redemption for, for his reputation. Yeah. That's something they really try to sustain throughout the whole rest of the series. So you and I rammed the barricade. <laughs> um, Rich, I'm guessing you ran the barricade. Absolutely. Just okay. went right through it. Yeah. Did not want to deal with the mob. And now what does that bring us to a bat cave scene? I think where, we should mention there's a few scenes in the game throughout all the episodes where you're actually in the Batcave using the Bat computer. There's some lore stuff in here. There's a codex with character biographies. There's a news feed that you can read about, like the outside world's interpretation of what is going on in the game. So that that's all pretty neat. I like that the codex updated itself as characters made certain actions too. It was kind of neat. Batman still, he like he lost that fight in Arkham because he's still under the effects of the drugs. 
So he uh, goes yes. back to the Batcave and does his bat magic and cures himself within like five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> well, he, he says, uh, he says, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing I have my own DNA on file. I can just mm-hmm. kind of match the chemical substrate of this uh, poison with my DNA and bingo, it's cured. Batman plans for everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so then the end they wisely c- cover up a plot hole by saying well now we have the cure for everybody and now bruce says no this is just unique to my dna just we for can't. me yeah right right <laughs> so at least they didn't let that pass you know the, so yeah. kind of patched a plot hole before it happened so yeah your next move is to meet harvey right uh, no, you start investigating Vicky because Joker told you he knows her parents were Arkham's, the people who made the asylum. Yeah. So this is where you go to the house, right? Yep. Yeah. So you go to Vicky's foster parents' house and you discover that they have been murdered. Violently. Yeah. Very viciously murdered. And you have to do a detective scene with the linking the evidence like we were talking about before and you also discover that there is a survivor another foster child a young boy and uh he actually saves your bacon at the very end because one of the penguins drones comes in while you're your tech starts malfunctioning while you're fighting the drone which hasn't happened yet right and that's foreshadowing then you get the option to either head to Wayne Enterprises and confront Cobblepot or Harvey's burning your house down. So you right. choose which one of those <laughs> to go to. I mean, this was a no brainer. You got to go to the house, right? I went to Wayne Tech. I went to Wayne Enterprises. All right. So that's right. So let's talk about that. Me and Rich went to the house. So basically you save Alfred and fight Harvey. And then Harvey gets taken away and you can choose. It's not a important choice, but you can choose whether he goes to Arkham or to jail. So what happens when you go to the Wayne building? Uh, so you go to your, your office where Cobblepot um, has found his way to the, the Batcave thing. And they have this really cool throwback to the, the ridiculous old monocle penguin where he's got the drones floating around and he's got like an eyepiece over the one eye that like he can see what the drone sees. So he's got a a silly monocle on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you have a pretty long fight where you end up in that elevator down into the Batcave and Penguin puts on some like huge metal gauntlets and starts fighting Batman hand to hand with them. And and you end up taking him down and stopping his hacking device that's hooked up to the uh, computer that's, that's wrecking your tech. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then you get an epilogue where Harvey's there and your house is just torched. And he's like, yeah, tell him uh, things went bad. So what happened to Alfred? When you go back to the house in the next episode, are we jumping to the next episode already? We can. Actually, that was the last decision was to go to the house or to Wayne Tech. So, Right. Um, so in mine, you go to the manor and Harvey's there and he's got a whole bunch of hostages and he's holding guns to their head and he's flipping coins and, and shooting them when it goes the wrong way. And you got to kind of dialogue him to get close enough. And then you can grab his coin from him and you can either throw it away or stick it in your pocket. Either way, I'm assuming he's just immobilized because he can't make that choice. Uh, so you take him down and, and the cops show up to, uh, to come and arrest him. Hmm. 
So that's really interesting. It sounds like you literally just get more content if you go to the Wayne building and fight the penguin. Because if you just go straight to the house, all you're doing is just cutting off the section with the penguin because you end up doing the same thing anyway if you go back to the house. It plays out differently because if you go straight to the house, basically Alfred is trying to hold them off with a, a rifle and you sneak in and take out all these thugs and then you have a big quick time event extravaganza with Harvey. And like I said, then he gets taken away by the police. So it sounds like you're better off just going to Wayne Tech to see more of the game, right? Maybe. So what happens to Alfred in your version? You save him. Like, he's fine. And then in episode five, like, he's just fine? Yeah, I think so. Unless I'm really falling asleep here. In, in mine, after, after you, uh, everyone clears out of your house, you start looking around and you see this huge like struggle and you do a detective scene and you realize that Alfred has been taken like very forcefully. There's like blood and the whole room's just like torn apart. Um, and you, you figured the children of Arkham have taken Alfred uh, hostage. No, that happens. But I think that's in episode five, right? Yeah, that's where we are. I'm sorry. I'm still at the very end of episode four and transitioning into five. The point I was making was that if you go to fight the penguin at Wayne Tech, you go back to the house anyway to fight. Do you go back to the house to the start of episode five to fight Harvey? Oh, I get it now. I totally get it now. Because in my episode five, you go to the park to confront uh, the penguin. Ah. Basically, you have to negotiate with him as Bruce and help Gordon. You have to distract Oswald because he has all these drones and he's actually gunning down cops with the drones who try to approach him. And he's trying to lure Batman to the park. So you go as Bruce, and I don't believe that's a choice at all. You have to go as Bruce. And you just start negotiating with him. And he says, oh, Bruce, you just happen to be the perfect bait for uh, who I'm really trying to get over here is Batman. So you just have this dialogue with him while Gordon sneaks around with a rifle to shoot the remote control for all the drones. And then I forget how it actually happens, but the statue of Cobblepot's father or ancestor or whoever that is falls onto him and uh, then he gets arrested. So that that's the answer. So you either get your confrontation with him in a, at the end of episode four or the beginning of episode five, and it's flip-flop based on that decision that you make. That makes sense. So having explained all that, wow, that's, that's, <laughs> that was good to clear that up. Okay, yeah. so now, however you did it, now you have Harvey and the Penguin put away. Yes. Then you find out Selena has stolen something important. Uh, from Wayne Enterprises, and you have to uh, take a detour to go kind of confront her before she leaves town with it. That's right. That's a very good scene. You go as Bruce in your sports car. You block the road as she's coming up. Your sports car slash Batmobile. Uh, True. It's Yeah, you're right. (laughs) It's just camouflage as a regular car. And you block the road as she comes up on a motorcycle, which is funny because they're both blocking the road for like 10 minutes. And I'm thinking, does nobody else (laughs) drive on this road? (laughs) Nobody needs to leave Gotham. Maybe Harvey had a blockade set up somewhere close by or something. Right. 
So then there's this kind of a heartfelt scene, like character to character moment where Selena just kind of plays down what she is as a human being. You know, she's very nihilistic. She says, there's there's really nothing to me. I'm just a common thief. I don't care about anything. And uh, there's a couple options here, like to just kind of tell her that she means more to you than that which is kind of obvious to me and it seems like to most players because 91% of players regarded Selena as more than a thief so yeah did you like that scene or I did my my favorite part of that scene was when she kind of reveals like you were the mark from the start like I was with Harvey to get to Bruce Wayne like that's why we met is because I wanted to beat you to steal this technology yeah, um, I thought that was really cool revelation. Again, another like thing moment of this game where I I just didn't see that coming story wise. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, a little bit heartbreaking. And but I mean, as Bruce Wayne, you just kind of think like, well, okay, that's part of the game. Uh, just gotta let her go and uh, move on with yeah. my real mission, which is to defeat the children of Arkham. So. We are now past the point that you were talking about before where Alfred gets kidnapped by the children yes. of Arkham. So we're caught back up. <laughs> right. So yes. So as you discussed before, Alfred gets kidnapped and you do this actually kind of a cool it's not like that cool, but you they send this video feed of Alfred being interrogated and he keeps touching his glasses. It's either Bruce or Lucius says he's doing that for a reason. Like, why is he? It's why does Bruce. he keep? Yeah, he says, why does he keep adjusting his glasses? Oh, he's trying to tell us something, and they can tell that the glare off his glasses is reflecting the room, so they can reconstruct the room. <laughs> it's funny because they can reconstruct the room perfectly just from the reflections off of his glasses. Yeah. And not only that, they could like stream it into his cowl so he can right. like, wear it and look around the room. <laughs> right. crazy. He gets a perfect virtual reality of this room just based on the glasses reflecting. Um, so, yeah, based on that, you kind of triangulate where they are, which is in the basement of the house. And like I said, it's kind of cool. You look at the hot water heater and see who the plumber was and get their records. And then you can see out the window that there's a bus station. So you look at bus routes that go past it. This is about as Batman as Batman gets, like, detective-wise. Yeah, like, very detective pretty, pretty nuts. Yeah, totally. So it turns out it's Vicky's parents' house, the house that you've discovered the murders in earlier in the game of her foster parents. When you get to the house, everybody's gone. But there's a false wall that you discover. This is what's going to kind of explain Vale's character, you discover like a torture chamber and it is revealed that those foster parents were like torturing Vicky as a child. It's really fucked up and dark. So dark. Yeah. yeah. This is where like way, way back when we were answering people's favorite villains and, and Rich was talking about Scarecrow in the new 52, like Batman reboot, Scarecrow's origin now is... His father locked him in a room like that, but instead of like torturing him, he locked him in a room with like just the most vile, disgusting stuff. There's like a skinned horse and there's like dead bodies and there's just all this disgusting imagery like all over. And he would lock him in this room for days at a time and then take blood samples and, and heart rates and stuff from him so he could like study the effects of fear on a person's physiology. Um, and so I really got these strong like 
scarecrow vibes um with what they're doing with uh, lady arkham in this game yeah this this part was one of the more disturbing it's the most disturbing part of the game actually um yeah 100 percent so it really kind of illuminates what Vicky's like motivations are. And maybe you can help me with this one here because you you have to find out where they took Alfred. And the way you do that is by he used a certain color of chalk to make like an encoded message to you that you can see with your bat vision or whatever. <laughs> but the funny thing, it's not funny, but the thing about this scene was that there are a lot of options to like investigate things, but I went straight for the chalk thing and and that triggers the next scene. So I'm wondering if I missed anything by not looking around more. Do you know? The chalk was the last thing I looked at. Um, yeah, you don't, you don't miss anything important. You just get to like kind of explore the, the torture that Vicky's been through. So you can see like fingernail clawings on the wall. Like you see the <sighs> belts that her dad was beating her with which is why he was hung by a belt when you found his body earlier like i noticed when he got hung he was wearing a belt yet he still had a belt around his neck it's because she purposely seeked out a different belt to beat him with to to kill him um because that's what he she used to get beaten with like so you just get a little more in depth of of what she's been through when she was a child all right i gotcha so so the the coded message is basically that she is going to liberate Arkham. So that's where we're going, right? <laughs> Got to save Alfred. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully prevent her from liberating Arkham. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, you've seen what like Zaz is capable of in particular, so you know there's there's some very dangerous people in there. Yeah. So we're really starting to uh, crescendo into the climax of the game here. You get to Arkham and it's just all hell is broken loose. It's basically a prison riot type of scenario. And uh, you need to do some of those fight links that we were talking about before. Some pretty good ones where you pick up the lunch tray and then kick the guy into the cafeteria. And it's funny, I failed this one. Uh, so I got to do it twice. So I did the opposite of everything I did the first time. So, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so I got to see all the options. But at the end of it, Lady Arkham is there and there's a little altercation with Zaz that um, Gordon saves you from, which is very cool because the police are showing up after that. Somehow Montoya is like back to work too, which which didn't really make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that she's not like at least under a psych evaluation like for a very long time (laughs) and not on active duty. But uh, hey, it's a comic book video game. So so yeah, you try to stop Lady Arkham at the end of this sequence, but you're unsuccessful and uh, she blasts you through the floor, through like 10 layers of floor and you end up in the... What is it? I, I wrote down catacombs in my notes. I don't know if they actually explained what they were so when you're down there you don't you don't see her immediately but you can it's one of those kind of scenes from a movie it's a very cliched kind of um mechanism where he can't see her but he can hear her loud and clear from wherever she is so they're you're talking to her as you're walking around and kind of trying to avoid booby traps with the quick time events so it's funny because there's no way to avoid them literally. You just have to trigger them and then pass a quick time event. That was kind of 
ever so mildly yeah. annoying to me. Like there should be a way like to disarm the traps if you see them or the, if you know and it's they coming. They did some like mean thing. things with them where like normally you'd push like uh, down an R2 to like dodge something and they they would like flip the uh, the image upside down. So it looked like you had to push up an R2. So I'd, like, I pushed the wrong direction and get killed by a spike thing in the wall. And then ah, I see what they did there and do it properly the next time. Right. Like you basically back uh, Lady Arkham into a corner where she has Alfred. I think you find Alfred first and then Lady Arkham kind of descends on you. And uh, this is the final showdown. It's a really cool scene, a kind of back and forth where you're like, as Batman talking to Alfred and she says, like, who is this guy to you? You seem really close. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, it's like that Catwoman moment at the start. Like, people aren't idiots in this universe. Like, you you get enough coincidences and they start to put things together, which I, I kind of like. Yeah, exactly. So then this is the final, um, like, main decision you have to make is to either attack Lady Arkham because she's threatening Alfred or to negotiate with her further by taking off your mask and revealing yeah. your identity. So I went ahead and revealed my identity. So did I. Um, And that's actually the majority decision, 73%. So, yeah, you end up talking to her. And she actually, at first, she says, it doesn't make sense. I can't believe it, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, she was so close to deducing it, yet still kind of throws her for a loop. Yeah. Uh, So then you fight more, and then... I don't know if it, I don't remember, was it her staff that makes, basically makes the yeah. whole place start During the fight, her staff like in, knocks falling out a couple down of those big support yeah. pillars. Things start crumbling. Right. So she tries to get out the way that you came in. First she gets blocked by a cave-in and then she just gets, <laughs> she gets pancaked. They, they do the thing I hate in like comics and, and cartoons and stuff where it's like, they look like they died, but you didn't actually see it. So they're definitely coming back later. Oh, yeah. And I thought you were going to say the, the the thing that I don't like, which is they just kind of stare up at it and go, oh, like instead of jumping out of the way, you <laughs> that, know, that too. <laughs> yeah. especially when she's obviously very capable and she's got like rocket boots, basically. Too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the climax. And now we're going to go into the uh, denouement, as it were. And uh, you take Alfred home. You have a nice talk with him. With a big chunk of your ear missing from that fight, which was, I, I'm the whole time I'm thinking like in the next season, like how is he going to explain this away? Like this billionaire is like missing a big chunk of his ear. What's his excuse for this one? Yeah, I wonder if they'll do like a they'll just say he got plastic surgery, or if you don't take off your cowl and just attack, if that doesn't happen. I'm curious. Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't didn't check that option after. Yeah. So. You have a moment of peace with Alfred where you can just kind of talk to him and it's kind of platitudes. It's like Alfred said, oh, you're a real hero and you can just say, I'm just doing my job kind of thing. And then there's this like final press conference that you can choose to either go as Bruce or Batman. Uh, Gordon's getting sworn in as the new commissioner because ah, that's the right. commissioner got killed in the... Uh the altercation at the GCPD a little earlier that we kind of breezed over. Um, so yeah, he asks all the most important people in Gotham to come stand behind him. So you get to kind of choose cause you're two important people, which one of those is going to show up. 
Right. Now I went as Bruce and I kind of regret it. I wish I'd have gone as Batman, especially uh, Gordon says, oh, I wish Batman was here. So I went like, as Batman and it was okay. awesome. Oh, man, I should have went as Batman. Um, I'm guessing the same thing happens. A truck drives into the podium and uh, there's just it some does. guy in it. <laughs> but before that, you get one of my favorite moments dialogue wise in the game where you meet Gordon in an alley where he's smoking. And he's like, I'm going out to, to say this. Like, can I say anything on behalf of Batman? And and you get a bunch of options. And like always, you have the dot, dot, dot one at the top. Right. So I pick that as as what I want him to say to the people of Gotham. And he's like, ah, I kind of thought you'd say something like that. <laughs> I, just, I love that moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Now, Rich, you said you always picked Batman no matter what. So did you go to that final press conference as Batman as well? Oh, you know it. Definitely yeah. win this bad, man. Yeah. So that's that's basically it. There's one final stinger where this televised press conference is being watched by the Joker. He's in a bar. And uh, I don't even remember what he says, but uh, does he say you ain't seen nothing yet? Uh, along those lines, like he stopped the assassination. So he's like something about, yeah, stepping up his game or something like that. Yeah. 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 So, damn, that's a... <laughs> That was a lot. I I wasn't expecting to do that that way, but we just went through the whole damn game. Um, so yeah, that's what happens when you have those collector cast boys on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I was feeling bad halfway through that I was just like gushing too much. No, that was good. Yeah, so that's it for the story, my dudes. Um, let's just say, like, did you like the story overall? I'll say that. I did. I enjoyed the game. It had some, it had some low points and I was, I'm not going to name specific points, but there were points where it was like, okay, I'm going to turn the game off now. Like I did not play. I don't think I played any episode all the way through in one sitting. And I know that's weird because they're only like an hour and a half to two and a half hours long each. But, uh, most of the time I would just play for half an hour, 45 minutes and then turn it off. But at the end of each episode, the cliffhangers were good enough to keep me coming for the next one, and I liked it. I liked it in general. What about you, Krabby? I give it a thumbs up overall. Like as far as like just Batman media in general, it's very kind of middle of the road for me. Um, but I'm I'm really happy I played through it. There's those moments like the Lady Arkham reveal that I really loved. Um, I I loved how they did Commissioner Gordon. I really liked Catwoman in this game. Penguin's not my favorite take on him, but it was interesting, and and I like when they try new things with characters like that. But yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that just bugged me, like Montoya's character. I I really didn't like what happened with her this movie. Alfred rubbed me the wrong way, and I can't figure out why. I, I've been racking my brain trying to come up with a reason, and I I just think I don't like his face. I don't like the character model they put on him, and and I just couldn't get over that. And, and Harvey was weird, being so big and massive. And then not really being a part of his character to be that big. And they didn't really flesh him out as much as I wanted them to. But like I said, I like thumbs up overall. I'm, I'm happy I played it. I think it's really awesome Batman lore. That's how you introduce a new villain. The whole opening episode, I think, was fantastic. Like, There's a lot of stuff to really love about this game, even though I got some issues with it. Yeah, and I actually, you might be surprised, but I agree with you completely on the Alfred character model. And there was something just weird and off-putting about him. So I just want you to know that I agree with you. Okay, on that. I'm glad I'm not the only one because I'm feeling bad because <laughs> I, I can't. Too. Normally, yeah. I can, I can kind of figure it out and talk my way through it and figure out what I don't like about it, but I just couldn't figure it out with that. 
to me, it's, it's sort of like Alfred is more that kind of father figure type, and he didn't really fit that role for me in this game. You know, he seems to be like a more sentimental character overall and compassionate and, you know, loving of Bruce. And it, it seemed like he was a little antagonistic in, in a lot of cases. And a bunch of times he's just like, do you still like me even though I did this terrible thing? Like, he's kept pressing that point home too, which I think bothered me a little bit. Yeah. And maybe that was just because of the kind of overall narrative of the story and uh, this whole idea that uh, Bruce's parents were a part of this crime syndicate, which, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I didn't buy that. I, I didn't yeah. like that. Um, I, I like when they introduce new things, but that's just one of the things that I, I really just didn't think that worked with the story. I don't know. Uh, Vale as the villain and her being able to whoop up on Batman. Like, where did this training come yeah, from? There's like a lot of holes there. All. Yeah. And so for me, it just, I don't know. I, I felt like it just got sillier, you know, as episodes four and five went on. I wasn't a huge fan of the story altogether, to be honest. But at the same time, I'm like, playing a Batman game. You know what I mean? So yeah, <laughs> I'm super happy to be playing a Batman game. And, uh, I've already bought a copy of, uh, the enemy within I bought it the other day. Cause you know, it, it's cool. You can just sit down and, um, you know, play five episodes. You can play one a night. And, uh, I was really digging that, you know, just putting in about an hour and a half of gameplay and, uh, waiting till the next night to play again. It was great. Yeah, I like digesting it like that, like having you guys with the checkpoints making me like wait and actually like really think about that episode for a week before I started the next one. <laughs> um, I don't consume Batman like that normally. I usually just take in everything that's in front of me as quick as I can. So it's kind of neat to to slow down and really think about what I was consuming. Awesome. Well, I mean, we're kind of in winding down mode and what we're talking about is almost final thoughts-esque, but we're not quite there yet. I just want to talk about real quick the graphics and sound. So Telltale uses 3D graphics, but they're cell shaded in a almost a comic book hand-drawn style, which is, of course, in my opinion, very appropriate for this game. They did it in The Wolf Among Us as well, which is also based on a graphic novel, as was Walking Dead. So it's kind of their shtick, and it works really well here. Some of the earlier games were were not really in this style. They Like the Back to the Future game was more... Jurassic Park. Yeah, they were just like kind of just normal 3D models that you might see in any other game. A little cartoonish, but not, not cel-shaded to the degree that they are in this Batman game. I think it the the graphics were really awesome in this game and even though they're cell shaded they're detailed where they need to be. I there's some scenes where uh Bruce is on the phone and you can clearly see that on his phone screen a little portrait of the person he's talking to. I thought that attention to detail was really nice. I I think they're that sweet spot where they're like stylistic but they're simple enough but they still can show emotion like when they're upset and surprised like you can actually see like eyebrows raise and, and eyes widen and stuff like that um i i loved the art in this game too i like you said it it kind of fits a lot of their choices i wonder if they even pick games because like they did guardians of the galaxy which this fits as well tales from the borderland which just really fits um game of thrones is maybe the only one that's out of place art wise mm-hmm. but they yeah they it really fits their their kind of style of game yeah 
Yeah, really. I mean, anything based on a comic book or graphic novel fits with this art style very well. I and mean, it's like flipping through the pages of a comic book as you're, you know, watching it unfold in front of you. It's great. Yeah, I think it worked very well. Nice. So for the sound and music, I mean, the music was, um, this was Elfman's music, right? Or no, this was not Elfman's music. Sorry. This music in this game was composed by Jared Emerson Johnson. So I don't know what it was. It Elfman light that it was so much like him that I thought it was. I honestly don't remember any of the music. None of it really. No themes kind of stick in my head after playing. I I loved the the voice actors like that side of sound. I thought was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the music just didn't stick with me. It's just kind of forgettable. Yeah, it just kind of goes along with it being like a Batman game. You get Batman sounds. You get um, you know the intro music that you're so familiar with. But, you know, other than that, I I can't recall anything in the game that really stuck out as far as being powerful or or moving. Well, that's wild. I think in my mind I was projecting Danny Elfman's music onto this game. Yeah, there's so much good music. Yeah, it just bleeds in. Oh, man. All right, cool. Well, gentlemen, this has been one of the longest episodes we've... It is the longest episode we've ever recorded. That was a main episode. So So let's get into our uh, final thoughts. I'm going to have Krabby go last because he's the Batman aficionado here. I think that's a wise decision. Yeah, so I'll go first and just say that, again, basically my thoughts of what I was saying about the story is that I liked it overall. I thought it was cool. Each episode's ending made me excited to go on to the next episode. And just like you, Rich, I'm definitely interested to play the next game in the series, The Enemy Within. I don't own it yet, but I'm definitely going to grab it. And um, I've heard really good things about this game. And I, from what I understand, uh, the Joker, I mean, obviously they tease it, but it's more of a Joker game, this next one. So... Yeah, I'm really excited, and uh, now that I know Telltale won't be around anymore, uh, maybe won't be so apprehensive to play more of their older games, like the other Walking Dead seasons and some of the other stuff. So, again, sad news about them. Uh, they left us with some good games, and uh, I had a good, a, a really good time with this one. What about you, Rich? Well, first of all, if you have any Telltale games, you might better go ahead and put them in your system and go ahead and download all the chapters in case you only have the first one. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Yeah, just in case any of that stuff gets pulled. I really like this game a lot. It's fun. Again, it's Batman, you know? I mean, I can't not like this game. I can't not want to play the next game. I wasn't as impressed with the story, I think, as the two of you were. Uh, I felt that there were, you know, a few holes in there. But overall, it's a telltale game. I enjoy these types of games. I, you know, love the QTEs. I love the dialogue choices. I, I always find it's fun to play with someone else sitting beside of me and kind of making those choices. Except during, you know, some of those uh, sexually awkward scenes, of course. But <laughs> those are kind of weird. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, um, neat game, fun, and uh, it's definitely one, I think, like you, Sean, like you mentioned, that I'd probably go through again just to make some different choices, and, and that gives it a little bit of replayability. Very cool. Kelsey, I'm going to kick it over to you for the grand finale, but I also want to mention that we've played four Batman games now, and 
you started this whole thing off with a Batman game back when it was, uh, was it Arkham Asylum? Probably. I, I love Asylum. It's, yeah. It's my favorite Batman game. So in a certain way, we, we owe it to you that we're even here having this conversation right now. So, yep. uh, man, take it home with your final thoughts on this game. I, I'm touched. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I, I feel like I summed up most of my thoughts, um, already um as far as telltale games go i feel like this is too cookie cutter like they they need to do something they they can't anymore obviously but um i i would like to see something to make it a little more unique to the batman property the detective stuff was was, uh was in the right direction but i want to see kind of deeper dive into that and and a little more escalation of all the features as you progress through the game make things a little more challenging i love the little cookies of fan service they put in like having blockbuster in there and and ventriloquist and zazz the joker take is not my favorite joker like there's some stuff that that i like like him being the kind of brown noser to arkham and the the key uh, gag got me it was pretty funny but just how he talks and, and his mannerisms and even how he looks um not my favorite so it doesn't get me super pumped for enemy within i'll still play it just because it's a batman game and I just need to absorb more Batman all the time. <laughs> like uh, Sean was saying, each episode has a cool cliffhanger. I get excited for the next episode. I don't think this season gave me a cliffhanger that gets me really excited for the next season, though. But like I said, I'm still going to play it because it's Batman. Well put. Awesome. All right. Well, Rich, we're in October now. What should people already be playing as they're hearing this? All right. If you're a fan of the show and follow us on the forums... You should be playing Monster Party. It's a rather short game for the NES, but a really, really fun game that Sean and I can't wait to talk about because we have such vivid childhood memories of playing this game, and I think it holds a special place for you and I. It's a platformer action game, scrolling, where you are a young boy and your only weapon is a bat, and uh, the mechanic is kind of where you hit things and knock it back at enemies. It's a lot of fun and unique, and uh, should be a nice, scary game for October. Nice. And in November, we just chose this game, right, Rich? As usual, we were having a little bit of a hard time trying to figure (laughs) out which damn game to play, but... We're actually going to play one of my favorite games of all time, which is the original Bioshock. I played this on the 360 when it first came out, and I played it exactly one time, and I've been looking for an excuse to replay it, and so that's what we're going to do for November. And, uh, you know, I try not to get political on this podcast, but I cannot wait to talk about Ayn Rand on the Playcast. So that's going to be really fun. And uh, I'm so looking forward to replaying that game and talking about it. And it's a game I've never played before. So it should be very, very interesting. It's one that uh, I've always wanted to play. I've been behind as far as systems are concerned. And so I got it very late into my collection. And so I've just never had the opportunity to sit down and play it. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. I think when you sent me a text of, let's just play Bioshock, I was like, yeah, you know. (laughs) So, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. Nice. Krabby, do you think you'll be joining us for Bioshock? Is that up your alley or no? 
I am 100% in for Monster Party. There's not many <laughs> NES games I don't have any frame of reference for. And that's one of them. So it's like a new experience for me. Oh, cool. I've actually beaten all the Bioshock games and I'm not a big fan of them, but I, I feel like I do owe the first one in particular a revisit. This has been so long and a big reason why I didn't enjoy it as much is because the way they tell their story is, is during the gameplay. So I'm often yeah. getting shot at, looking for things, lost, and I'm missing all of the story because I'm so involved in the gameplay. So at the end when they did the big twist reveal, which I, I won't mention here since you guys are going to dig Please into that don't. in November, <laughs> um, it was lost on me because I, I missed so much dialogue earlier throughout the game. Right. So I, it didn't didn't hit me like it should have. So I, I want to give it another chance because I, I feel like there's a good story in there if I can pay closer attention this next time. Wow, very interesting early hot take on Bioshock from Krabby here. I appreciate that. So listen, man, like I said earlier, it's it's been a pleasure for me, especially to just finally get on the air and be able to talk to you. Likewise, yeah. Yeah, yeah this great. has been awesome, dude. So I know that, like me, you're trying to tone down on the social media and stuff, but we usually wrap this up by you know asking where can people find you on the internet if they want to interact with you? Do you have anything out there? Maybe The only place you can find me on the internet is if you log into the RF Generation forums and post in there. It's the, the only place you're going to catch me these days. And it's a Crabmaster2000 RF Generation if you want to say hi or send me a message. Awesome. against the lightning. Mm. They haven't seen the heat way yet. for another episode thank you for listening and for participating in the playthrough extra special thanks to crabmaster 2000 for joining our discussion this month in november we'll plunge to the bottom of the sea and chill with some splicers and big daddies when we check out irrational games 2007 dystopian masterpiece bioshock Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next month on the Playcast.
me. Uh, so, Rich, uh, yeah, that sounded natural. <laughs> uh, so, Rich, uh, tell me about this. <laughs> uh, Motherfucking refuse. Awesome. I think it's break time. Yeah, let's take a little break. Rich, go check your mailbox. If nothing else, just get it into the house. Poopy time! And yeah, well, I guess this is going to be a longer break than usual. So, let's get into the real conversation here which is the story which is what we all came for so i want to think about how to start talking about this (laughs) all right well i guess we can move on into pickups uh i guess uh we'll start with our guest again kelsey you I have had a pick. What the f- am I trying to say? Hold on one second. <laughs> the f- are you trying Sorry. to say? I don't know. I just kind of <laughs> gacked out right there. I don't know what the hell I was trying to say. 